Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. All we're doing is creating private industry that widens the gap between people who have and people who have not. It comes down, PJ, to a very simple rule of be a good neighbour, talk to your neighbours. And I'd say, because of bureaucracy, I cannot get work permits. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Good morning, Fiona Corcoran in for PJ today. Um, anybody out there this morning, it is very foggy, so make sure you uh, take it easy on the roads, keep the lights on, um, and I think that that fog will hopefully lift later today. And we'll have a relatively nice day, I think. Um, lots coming up in the show today. We'll be talking to a lady who claims her son really genuinely does not like school and she's wondering what to do about it. We'll also be talking to somebody who wants to bring a cannabis market to Cork for Christmas so we'll be talking to him about that as well and loads more coming up and if you want to get in touch with us at any time throughout the show this morning the number to text or WhatsApp is 083 and of course you can phone on 0818 and Emer and Fergal are taking your calls this morning. Now uh, the big news story of the day of course is this planned walkout from colleges all across the country including here in UK. UCC. Asha Woodhouse, good morning. Hi Fiona, thanks. Yeah. Hi Asha. Um, Asha, the, the walkout by students at uh, UCC this morning, it's expected that thousands of students are going to walk out just after 11 o'clock as part of a national protest. Just, um, it's, it's a result of the cost of living crisis. What are you guys seeing in um, the college? Like, are students really um, on the edge at the minute? Is this why you've all decided to walk out? Yeah, we're definitely, you know, I suppose I'm in my second year in the student union and I've definitely seen a sharp increase in, um, I suppose, students struggling to cover their basic costs um, as part of their day to day. And it's particularly as a result of the increase in cost and accommodation. But people are also being hit, obviously, by increasing costs for food now, you know, mm-hmm. whereas last year, the year before, a student could maybe do their weekly shop on maybe 20 to 25 euro a week um now it's more like 30 to 40 euro a week and these things have a big impact um as well as that you know the um the like the wages and things like that just aren't suitable for people like we've crunched the kind of numbers and if you look like back four or five years ago um compared to now you know a student who's working a part-time job who's paying these rents who's um who's uh, paying all these bills and stuff they're mm-hmm. just getting poorer by the day whereas four years ago you know people were maybe getting by Asha I spoke to you on the air around this time last year after you had launched the food bank in UCC and you ran out of food fairly quickly is the food bank still going yeah, um, so we still have the food bank going, except this year we've switched to operating on a food voucher system. Mm. Um, so we basically integrated it into kind of a welfare fund that we have and um, that students can apply to. We just found it maybe giving students vouchers to go into a shop and be able to purchase their own food gave students a bit more flexibility in what they were able to buy mm. um, because we weren't able to provide, I suppose, fresh produce and things like that at the food bank. Okay. Um, and we found that system is working really well this year. 
And is it all um, to do, like, is a big part of it the cost of renting accommodation here in Cork? Yes, definitely. The cost of accommodation is, it's just gotten out of control from our perspective, really. Um, you know, most people are, you're kind of considered lucky if you're paying under €600 Euro a month. Um, but a lot of people are paying more than that now, um, with some up to €1,000 a month, if not more, um, especially in the a lot of the new private uh, purpose-built student accommodation complexes that have kind of shot up um, in the area. So I think that's definitely where people's pocket is being hit hardest. Um, and then after that, all the kind of hidden costs that come with being a student, you know, your food, your other bills, um, but also costs that come with college, whether that's books, um, field trips, all these kind of things that aren't maybe covered by a grant if you're eligible for one. And um, Asha, I know that, um, you know, the, the, the student contribution charge is €3,000 and uh, you're calling for that to be abolished. And in the budget this year, you were given a once-off student fee reduction of €1,000, but that's only for one year. That's not a permanent solution to the, to the high fee costs either. Yeah, it's just a once-off and that, you know, obviously we we accept um, that this will be, you know, will help students and their families in the interim. But it was just quite disappointing to see that it's a once-off reduction um, because, you know, the fact of the matter is we do have the highest fees in the European Union. Mm. Um, something that the funding and the, I suppose, price point of college has been called out for a number of years now. Um, you know, in particular in the Casals report, which was published in 2016 at this stage, you know, it's six years ago, um, but no successive government has taken any steps to try implement any of the recommendations made in that, despite the fact that the Minister of Higher Education sent the Casals report to the European Commission for review. They came back with a review, which was then published um, in a report by the department called Funding the Future. But again, they failed to implement um, or, you know, even really try to begin to implement the recommendations. There's a 317 million shortfall identified in the sector. Mm. Um, so, you know, as I said, while we, com- we while we take the thousand euro reduction, that will, will help students. As I said a while ago, there's some students who are paying a thousand euros a month for their accommodation. That money is going to get gobbled up straight away. And it's just going to go into, you know, the pocket of these um, private, uh, you know, accommodation providers and things like that. It doesn't mm. actually really help people in the long term. And anyone doing a postgrad, their fees are not covered by that concession? No, not at all. Um, which, you know, we know today that most people do need to go on to do a postgrad um, to get into, you know, maybe the, the area of work that they want to go into. Um, so loads of, loads of people, loads of, and majority young people are rack- and their families are just racking up debt at the moment. And it's particularly disappointing when, you know, we know that um, across this budget year and the next the government are putting six billion into the rainy day fund and for us like we don't know how much worse it has to get you know this is a rainy day to us and you know the the money you, they could solve all these problems and still have money left over in the six billion that they're setting mm. aside um, and it, it's just very hard to see this money be set aside for later on when we see students and families. And even, you know, we have such a diverse mix of students here. We have international students. We have students who are parents. Um, you know, we run a crash subsidy fund out of our students union as well to subsidise the cost of childcare for students that are parents. Um, and just seeing the difficulties that they're having um, while trying to, you know, people who come to university, they're trying to get an education. They're trying to kind of, you know, uh, grow and better themselves and be able to go back into the workforce and contribute to society. Mm. Um, so it's just really hard to see people be hard hit year after year. 
You mentioned there um, a couple of minutes ago about the amount of private student accommodation that's shooting up all over the place and it's something that I remarked on a couple of weeks here in the newsroom that it just seems like there's a huge amount of apartment blocks being built for students but a lot of students can't actually afford the the, the rent for those and they have to go into to private rented accommodation but there have been complaints as well about the substandard quality of a lot of that accommodation. Is that still the case, Asha? Yeah, we still have issues with, um, you know, houses that have mould in them, leaks in them, like, you know, appliances or, you know, even bed frames or things like that being broken um, that students are living in, which really is just appalling when you look at, you know, some of the and some of the houses in the area now, they, a lot of houses have gotten extensions and things like that. So, you know, you could have six, seven, eight people living in one house and they're sharing one tiny kitchen, one fridge between them, you know, maybe two bathrooms if they're lucky. Um, and if it, another bathroom was put in the extension and it's really just not adequate for what people are paying and it can't be healthy either, you know, and I think mm. we definitely see that it can have a knock on effect on, uh, you know, the, the wider local community. We really try to engage with the local community here and we have built up a good relationship with them. But like if you're putting young people, uh, you know, living in subpar conditions, how is it supposed to feel like a home or somewhere where they feel like they can contribute to the community um and it just really needs to be fixed but it doesn't need that doesn't mean that we need people living in you know these luxury like double bed ensuite you know rooms that are mm. actually just co- costing a ludicrous amount of money and the other thing is is that these complexes are shooting up in areas but n- like there's no other kind of um community infrastructure being built up around yeah. the area you And we know that, for example, um, the transport system, while, you know, there is kind of uh, works going on at the moment, it's still not up to scratch to meet the demand. So where are students, if if students have to drive to get to Cork, where are they supposed to put their car? You know, we need, we really just need these things to be solved very quickly and as a priority. And for that to happen, the investment has to be put in the infrastructure correctly and it has to be, you know, subsidised by the state to keep the costs down. So that and just as you mentioned there about students driving, um, is it still a case where a lot of students are driving to Cork from other counties? Like I know last year there was one student in particular who was travelling all the way from County Leash and doing that commute every day. Yeah, yeah, we have students commuting really far distances. Um, you know, even just places in the wider Cork area like Charleville and things like that, you know, because mm. there's no bus service and um, that will get them to the city centre in time for their class, which is just ridiculous. You know, we know students who, you know, are getting up at 6am and 5am and all these kind of things just to get into college before half seven so that they can get a car space, um, you know, which is just ridiculous. And we're seeing this in other universities across the country as well. Well, we, you know, and I suppose the long term thing is we don't want students to have to be commuting that far and be parking these cars all around the place. We want students to have the option to live near college at a mm. price that is affordable for them. Because when you live near college as well and, you know, you're you're in a nice home, you, you tend to be able to integrate into university life better and um, you can attend like extracurricular activities and things like that whereas people who have to commute huge distances are kind of cut out from doing any kind of sport or physical activity any extracurricular things and um, socializing and things like that which really has a knock-on effect on people's well-being in the long term. Asha, we just had a call in there from somebody who said, but will they all be out in the town tonight, I wonder? And I think a lot of the time when students are talking about um, poverty and the cost of living, um, 
people do say that to them like what about the the fact that students always seem to be able to go out and socialise or that they're, they have money for drink but they don't have money for food what's your reaction to that or what do you say to, pe- to people who make those kind of comments well firstly I'd say you know we have 24,000 students in UCC so there's definitely not 24,000 people that are out going mm. out every night but I would say as well you know I do think that as I said, socialising, going out with your friends and things like that is part of being, you know, I wouldn't want to deny that from anyone. I think that even even if you're struggling, you should be able to budget in your month and put aside a bit of money to go out, have a bit of fun and socialise with your friends. You know, I don't think that we should, if someone's struggling, we should cut them off into this life of like, you know, you, you can only spend your money on X, Y and Z. Mm. Um, and I, students are budgeting, you know, we have budgetary advice in UCC and we do tell students, you know, yeah, put a bit of money aside for yourself so that you can socialise if you need to buy a new pair of shoes or whatever from time to time. Mm. Because what being growing up is, you know, which is what being, for most people being in university, it is that transitionary point in their life. Um, and it's no way, I, I don't think anyone would want to tell, you know, their kids or their cousins or anything like that, you know, God, you can't go and enjoy yourself because you have to pe- spend a thousand euros on your rent. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just no way for young people to be living their life. So I think that we have to what we want is um, a society that I suppose values uh, um, education, firstly, and values um, a, a, an environment that is predominantly filled up with young people who want to go out back out into the workforce and contribute to society and contribute to the next generation of young people who are going to go through education. And the protest today, it's happening just after 11am. How many people are you expecting to attend? We're quite uh, confident that we will have a good crowd. And we have, you know, I suppose you might be aware, UCC has a number of kind of satellite campuses and things like that. So we have uh, organised a number of locations um, around the place just to ensure that we're kind of capturing everyone. Um, So we're, you know, we're very hopeful that we'll have a good uh, footfall of students on Mm. both main campus and the satellite campuses. Um, So we'll just have to wait and see. But we've had a really good response from students on the ground over the last week. Um, So we're really hopeful that it'll be a good turnout. Some people might say it's just an excuse to get out of lectures. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, and we've engaged with um, we've engaged with staff in the university as well. Mm. Um, They've been very supportive and responsive uh, to us, Um, you know, because this uh, accommodation crisis and cost of living crisis is actually affecting our staff as well. Um, You know, every day in in this university, there's issues with, uh, you know, maybe postdoctoral researchers or new academic staff coming to UCC who who are getting a new job opportunity that can't find anywhere to live either. Mm -hmm. So it's actually it's I think there's a real sense of solidarity there that and, and loads of staff as well will have, you know, young children or children that are in UCC um, so they are seeing the impacts of this so you know we've really taken a proactive approach in engaging with the staff in UCC on this so that they, they know what we're doing and they understand why we're doing it so we're hopeful that there'll be a positive response from all. Okay and we will have Katie O'Keefe from the 96FM newsroom going to that walkout at UCC later today and we're hoping to catch up with her later in the morning. For now that is Asha Woodhouse. Asha thank you very much for joining me this morning. UCC Student Union President Asha Woodhouse. Cork's Gold Emerald Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right then. The score.
on Cork's 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we focus on the 2022 Cork County Senior Hurling Championship Final between Blackrock and St. Finbars. Right here, right now. Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2pm on Cork's 96FM. Lots of your comments coming in following my conversation with Asha Woodhouse there about students who are taking, they're st- t- staging a protest today about uh, the rising cost of living and how it's affecting students. So uh, keep your comments coming in to us on that if you agree with what the students are doing um, or do you think that the students um, are just, you know, the, as some people are saying that they always have money for drink and that they have no right really to be out protesting about the cost of living. Keep your comments coming in 083 96 or you can call 0818 96 96 96 but first I wanted to go to this If fish is your fetish we've got an incredible sushi offer right here at Central Cross Haven for two days when it's gone it's gone a fantastic range of fresh delicious sushi now selling at far better than half price He's the man of the moment Bernard Lynch from Lynch's Centra in Crosshaven Bernard you're gone viral how does it feel to be famous yeah. Hey Fiona how are you very good morning yeah famous my god I never thought I'd be famous for this but it's, it's a bit of fun isn't it <laughs> It sure is come here what happened so you made a, it was like a promotional video for su- sushi or as you called it sushi Yeah well well I suppose we do these every week mainly the manager Connor does it but we yeah. kind of we nearly have this competition to see who can do it in one go you know yeah. take and I just happened to be passing one of the fridges and the girl and the guy who do these videos said here do a video and I said yeah no problem go on and we kind of do this in 10 seconds done dusted and off you go yeah. and that was that was as much as we thought about it and uh, it was an offer we got from a supplier we sell a lot of uh, we sell a lot of gourmet and artisan food down here so the supplier had it overstocked on it gave us an offer on it and uh, we just put it put it out there and uh, it's an amazing amazing amount of people who like sushi do <laughs> So when did you find out that it's not sushi, that it's sushi? (laughs) Well, we actually knew immediately, you know, but it was just a bit of fun and we just left it there and... uh you know, we might get 20 or 30 or 40 likes and we're in a small uh, rural village here in Crosshaven. Yeah. Beautiful place. And, uh, you know, we might get a couple of likes on the different videos we do and it kind of goes to the community that we're involved in. But uh, we knew straight away, but we just left it there as, as fun. And is fish your fetish is what the headline is on the Suchi King box. So I was given the box, read what was on the box and off we went. And that was the last we heard of. That was about three weeks ago. And then somewhere along the line, this thing just went uh, went 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 from where where it went wild. It's but, like um, uh, it's with a bit anything of fun. on social media, isn't it? It's like all it takes is one person to um, you know retweet or, or post something like that with a comment, and it just takes off. <laughs> it, it does indeed, but you know what? It's good and it's fantastic for the store and. You know, it's that the, the product sushi that we sell is very much in line with a lot of what we do. I mean, we've got a fantastic supermarket down here and we cater for everybody. We've fantastic offers that meet and beat most of our competitors in terms of price and grocery. But we do a lot of artisan food and we do a lot of gourmet food. We've just landed Donnybrook Fair, which I'm sure you're familiar with from Dublin, the first uh, central store outside Ireland to bring it in, which is a kind of a hand prepared gourmet crafted food range. And that's in there. And we've Caramico Pizza. It's a, it's a different style of store, fantastic prices, and I, what I can guarantee you, Fiona, and it's not an ad for Centra, well, is that <laughs> if, you shop, if, you, if, if you shop in Centra Cross Haven, by the time you pay petrol and travel and everything, you'll save a load of money and you'll get sushi at a great price. Uh, come here, how did the sushi sell then after your video? <laughs> 
Would you believe we sold? I was amazed. I wasn't really. I, I never realized there was such a market for it. But it sold fantastically well because we were giving it away at half price in the day. But what has, has happened is the amount of people that come in on a weekly basis now looking for it has just gone through the roof. So it's great. And come here. Um, your kids then told you the proper pronunciation. What do they make of the whole thing? What do they make of their dad <laughs> going viral? <laughs> Well, that was again something I think Connor, the manager, just just, just told somebody. We like we knew straight away, but we thought that it was just fun and let it go there, and hmm. it, it was a bit of banter. But the kids, the kids, the kids, my God, I'd say they were mortified initially when they heard this thing because I'm, I'm not even on social media except Twitter, which I use for swimming. I do a lot of swimming, and that's my my sport. But other yeah. than that, I've no involvement. In, so they were not, they were, my God, I got a call from my daughter. I was asleep. She said, Dad, what have you done? And... Uh, <laughs> Then uh, yeah, it was a bit of fun, and the kids then thought it was awful. But now everybody's texting them about it. This is the younger ones, Connor and Emily. They're eleven, and now they think now they think it's brilliant altogether. You know, so, <laughs> so they're delighted now. <laughs> they are delighted. Indeed. Somebody's just telling me here. A little birdie has just told me that you do the uh, Myrtleville swim every morning, winter and summer. Is that true? I do. I'm swimming in Myrtleville now for many, many years, well over 30 years. And uh, there's a f- most fantastic bunch of people down there. It's a group. It's no club. It's a group of like-minded people. And it's everybody from uh, children to teenagers to actively retired to people 70, 80 years of age. And most of them, Fiona, are down there because they feel better. Every day they swim, they have a better day. And uh, it's an absolutely inspiring place, beautiful place and a great bunch of people and yeah it's fantastic so I'm at that years and years and years you're swimming with the fishes (laughs) swimming with the sushi (laughs) I don't even know if I'll be able to pronounce it right again I don't think I will either (laughs) (laughs) well anyway that's the news and uh, the video before I let you go how many likes and views are on the video now do you know well, I don't know because um, the, the, the guys in work tell me there was 79,000 yesterday, I think. But now they've told me it's gone on to um, Lad Bible and it's got on to something else and something else and something else. So how this all works, uh, Fiona, I'm not really, really sure, but it, it's a bit <laughs> of fun. And you now are on the opinion line on 96FM talking about your Yeah, <laughs> yeah after, do, after, after doing a 10-second 10 10 second ad. So... Uh, yeah, so that's it. Anyway, look, it's all good good stuff and a bit of fun. Ah, uh, but this is it, Bernard, and fair play to you. And we're going to play it again just for anyone who wants to hear it and hasn't seen it. It's the best of luck. <laughs> best of all luck right, to you thanks a million. Aaron Lynch's Centre in Crosshaven. It's a great shop. Thanks a million, Bernard. And here's Bernard with his sushi. If fish is your fetish, we've got an incredible sushi offer right here at Central Crosshaven for two days. When it's gone, it's gone. A fantastic range of fresh, delicious sushi now selling at far better than half price. And if you haven't seen the video, you'll be able to see it on our own Twitter uh, later on. We're just putting it up now and it's at OpinionLine96. We were also speaking to Asha Woodhouse earlier this morning about the students walking out um, in protest at the cost of living this morning. And a caller has been in touch to say, I am listening to that student rep and she is so right and so mature and they are trying to do something about what is going on. The rest of the country is just sitting on their arses, complaining to each other, yet being nice to politicians. We should all be doing walkouts, demonstrations, etc. Thank you for that. If anybody else agrees with that, do you think that we all should be walking out and taken to the streets um, You know, in protest at the cost of living and the rising cost of living and how tough it has been for people? You can let us know 0818 96 96 or 
0833969696. Or you might be in agreement with this person who got in touch to say the college students always have money for drink. You see them legless every Thursday night on Bandon Road and College Road. Um, and we d- I did put that question to Asha and she said that not all students, there's like 24,000 students in UCC and she said not all of them are out every Thursday night on the Bandon Road and College Road drinking. But if that is your view on it, let us know. 0833 96 96 96. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With corksimon.ie. Because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ today and some more comments coming in. Nice to hear you, Fiona. Is PJ on a play date? <laughs> yeah, very funny. <laughs> we were talking to PJ about that a couple of weeks ago and he hates the word play date. I'm all on for play dates. And somebody else wants, uh, says, nice to hear you. Thought you were gone. I kind of am gone. <laughs> but I just said I'd come in for a couple of days to cover for PJ. Um, so thank you for those lovely comments. Now, um, of course, we are coming up to uh, Christmas party party season in a couple of weeks and it can be a very expensive time for people especially when they're trying to get Christmas toys and presents and food and whatever else but as well as all of that you have to get the hair done for the Christmas parties and um, or if you have different events or whatever and Kira Murphy from Three Degrees Hair Design in Blackpool has come up with a fabulous idea. Good morning Kira. Morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well, Kira. You are calling on uh, Cork hairdressers to come together and establish a system where less fortunate customers would have access to free haircuts for pre-Christmas parties and events. That's so lovely. Yes, I just think it'd be a lovely idea. Firstly, we were like on the backhand of generosity from a lot of people of Cork, and we'd like to give back in that way. And I know there's a lot of other salons that would love to get involved for people that need it as well. Yeah, because of course your salon um, was badly burnt. Was that how many years ago was that now, Kira? Was that two or three years? It ago? was. It was two years ago now, since September. Mm. But we wouldn't have been able to do without a lot of, of of our friends, family, and especially the people of Cork who really came and helped us at that time. So we'd love to give back. Oh, that's and, and this now. Um, I mean, like, are you seeing from you know customers coming in that people are saying that they just don't have the money anymore to pay for their regular hairdos? Oh, most definitely, definitely. We have like across the board and I'm sure all businesses feel it as we feel it ourselves. But you do see it with customers having to spread out appointments and things like that. You know, it was a, it's a luxury for for people to get their hair done. But obviously other bills will have to come first now, you know. Mm. So yeah. it is definitely something we see. And of course, like a lot of people, myself included, you might just get the annual haircut at Christmas time. So um, it it is a time where people want to make a little bit more of an effort and they try and get their hair done. Also, Christmas is a time people don't feel bad spending money, but I think this year will be a lot different for people, you know. Mm. And have you spoken to other salons? What's the reaction been like to your idea? Yeah, definitely. I've a lot of friends in the industry, salons and beauty, beauty salons. They've all like they've all had a good interest in it, you know, and definitely for people who need it. Because um, there's a lot of people out there that will definitely not afford to get their hair done this year, you know, or get any like get facials or 
spray tans for events and it, it mightn't just be for a Christmas party it could be someone for going up for an interview or something you know yeah so everyone people I, I do know people would love to get involved and do you think that a lot of customers would come in and ask for the free cuts and the free dues um I, I don't think they would I don't think people mm. would do that I think it would have to be something that was nearly like a, a bit of like a campaign or something but I don't think people would I think people would have too much pride to ask for something free so I think someone would have to be nominated you know yeah I don't think anybody would ask for anything but they'd say for family friend or uh, you know someone that knew knew that someone really was deserving of it they should they, they'd probably put them forward for it you know yeah, because that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they are proud and they don't want to maybe like going in asking for a handout. But as you say, if exactly, it was, some, if it was exactly. handled in a different way, maybe that they just don't have to walk into exactly. the front of people. There could be a single mother with three, four kids that need that, you know, wants to have herself right for Christmas for the kids. But obviously she's going to put her kids first. So there could be someone you know, that in other situations. But I just think it would be lovely to give to someone that really deserves it. And how have, has business been going, Kira, since you opened again? Well, great. We've, like, we've a brilliant team around just myself, Estelle and Hayley. Like, we, like, our salon, we love our salon. And only for the girls we have working for us, they're all fantastic. We've, we, we're doing really well, but we're definitely facing something different this time now. Mm. Um, but like we've fantastic customers and everything it's just it's it's a little different especially the last couple of weeks we our bills have definitely gone up at the moment and but we just have to get through it like we've got through everything else it's a pretty scary time as well isn't it for a lot of small businesses like yourselves because um you know you just don't know yeah exactly we have 17 staff and you know like you know they're all hard-working girls and every you know some of them are only training and starting out their careers so it's 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 definitely definitely we're facing uncertain times again, mm. but hard work and we everyone will get you just like all other businesses in Cork. Well, fair play to you. And it's everywhere. such a lovely idea that you're doing, and especially as you say, look, it's a tough time for businesses, and for you to be able to give back to customers like this is so lovely. Um, and if people do want to talk to you, will they just ring the, the salon and so say to you, look, what? If they, if they, if they can ring the salon and if they or if they want to send us a message on Instagram or if they want to send a message on Facebook, but like we'd love to hear from people that know people that really, really deserve it. And we can we can even reach out to other salons for them then as well if they want to, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, there's, there's an awful lot of salons in, in Cork, and I know that um, Joe over in Lachine does great work like that. He has the the homeless yes. days where he gives free cuts to people and stuff like that as well. So there's a great community of salons in in Cork. Definitely, definitely. So and and I think everyone will definitely get together. Do you know? I mean, if it was one, if it was if it was one to two people per salon in Cork, I mean, that's a lot of people looked after. You know what I mean? Mm. If, do you know? Yeah. Like even at that. Brilliant. It would be nice for people. It would. Kira, best of luck with everything and thank you. And it's a lovely idea. That's Kira Murphy from Three Degrees Hair Design in Blackpool. And back to the students who are claiming uh, to be living on the poverty line. Susan, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> what do you make of the, the conversation that I had with Asha that, you know, students are um, finding it really difficult to get accommodation? They're really struggling with the cost of living? Yeah. So, like, uh, back in 2000 is when I went to college. I went back as a mature student. And, um, obviously, I was living on my own. I, I had left my, my parents' home in Bishopstown there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, like, we all just got um, either a house share or bed sits. 
and um, we had to pay the bills, you know, the electricity or whatever, um, and the rent. But um, and I went on back to education scheme. There are schemes to help students, mm. you know, to, to, with the cost in that respect of the fees and stuff. But like we survived on like pasta mm. and cheese, and you know. We we saved our money, um, the sensible ones, I suppose you could call us, maybe, yeah. um, that it is possible to survive. And like everyone knows, going back to university is a struggle, even as a mature student, mm. that you just don't have money for luxuries and you have to put that aside if you want to get the degree, you know. Yeah, like uh, pasta and I, beans is always like a staple diet yeah. of the student, but like it's all part of it. <laughs> It is. Do you know what I mean? And beans have loads of protein in them and the pasta is mm. a carbohydrate. And then you've got bread and butter, maybe toast. Uh, you certainly don't have luxuries or going out for meals or drinks or every weekend going out drinking, you know. Now, I'm not a drinker, but mm. um, uh, I, you know, occasional, maybe at Christmas or whatever. But, you know, the students nowadays, they just want everything. And um, like all these luxury apartments going up, I don't know what good that's going to do because they're so expensive anyway to rent. Mm. Um, to afford them. Well, that's what Asha was saying, that these luxury yeah. apartments, they're, they're, the people can't afford them and it's not what students particularly want, but she was saying no. that, you know, likewise, they don't want to be living in accommodation that's substandard. Well, you have to. If you want your degree, you will. And in my time, um, and I knew a couple of people who did, and I even had um, next-door neighbours in bedsits, and they were all trying to get their degree in college, and you just suffered, you know? It's it's part of the whole degree system where you're learning about life lessons as well, about survival skills, and it's not just about the degree. Mm. It's about surviving in life, in reality. And you can't be in reality if you want luxury meals out. And, and beautician shops, I just heard there as well, and, like, going to the hairdresser every month. Sure, like, once once twice a year would do. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and the beauticians, get your eyebrows done. You know what I mean? Do your own makeup. Mm. Um, you know, so it, it can be done, but you have to be realistic about the cost, uh, especially nowadays. And I just think it can be done, but just don't expect too much luxuries while you're doing your degree. Yeah, I remember when I was a student back in the 90s, a very long time ago now, Susan. Um, myself and my friend lived in a, an absolute kip. It was covered in mould yeah. and yeah. Uh, we did our own hair. We had the home That's dye it. hair kits. It was yeah. really dodgy looking. <laughs> really oh, like, dodgy looking hairstyle. <laughs> but it's all part of the, like, the, yeah. the lifestyle of a student. Okay. Yeah, the realistic lifestyle anyway, you know. Mm. So. But then I suppose uh, I don't know. Have things changed though? Now we're in a different we're in a different time, and different generation. You can, you can still go in and get a dry haircut, and they'll do a, a very good job for about ten euro. Yeah. And if you manage your food, you could get a load of food in Lidl or Aldi, and they have them in the city centre now as well for people living in the city centre. You could get a whole week's shop for twenty euro. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It can't be done. They just want more than they can have, really. I suppose. You know, um, that's just my opinion anyway. Brilliant, Susan. Great call. Thank you so much for contacting us on the opinion line this morning. Rebecca, you're a mature student studying at UCC by night. Good morning. Yeah, so um, I'm doing my law degree by night. It's a four-year course. The full-time course is three years. um, And we're actually exempt from this once-off, thousand euros off Hmm. your fees which seems wildly unfair since we are going for the same degree, we're paying the same amount of fees. It doesn't make any sense to me. Have they explained why they're not giving it to you? 
because we're deemed part-time students. Okay. Um, now, as I said, the full the full day to, the full day course uh, takes three years. Mm. The night course takes four years. Most of us, like I, I would be a carer, um, and this is a core. It's one of the few courses that's under eighteen hours a week that you can actually do. Um, and then most of the other people in my class would be people who have young children or people who are working full time, and yeah. they're just trying to upskill. It seems a bit crazy to punish people for managing to squeeze this into their life, if you know what I mean. I know, yeah. And I mean, like, obviously you want to, as you said, you want to upskill, but going back to college full time is not an option because, you know, you're working or you have kids or, you know, for a lot of people in your your year, it's just not an option. So you think that it should be looked at again by the government? Absolutely. Like, it just seems unnecessarily punitive for people trying to better themselves. And Rebecca, what do you think of the walkout to today? Do you think that the students are right to do what they're doing today? I do, I do. Um, I think that, in fairness, I mean, it's very easy to kind of say, oh, the students are doing this and the students are doing that, but, like, they're still people. They still deserve to to kind of live their life. Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, if I was mean. 18 and I was in college, I mean, I remember, you know... Um, being uh, a student at 18. Sorry, I'm actually going to have to call, call oh, you back there. Sorry. You're all right, sorry, Rebecca. You're all right. Sorry, I'll have to go there. Sorry. Okay, thank you very okay, much sorry. for getting in touch with us, Rebecca. Uh, keep your comments coming in to us on this subject. Um, somebody has been in touch to say the ironic thing about the student walkout at 11 minutes past 11 is that most students won't go into college until after lunch because they think it's pointless going in any earlier because of the walkout. They will expect others to protest for them just like they've expected their parents to fund them for the last 20 years of their lives. Somebody else has been in touch to say, I work full time. I can't afford to go out and party like the students. How about give up going out drinking and put the money to pour towards food or rent? Now, Asha did talk about that caller and she said that, um, you know, not all students um, are out partying all the time. But at the same time, if you are studying hard and if you are working and you are earning some money, that may, that you should be able to go out and have even one night out and be able to socialize, socialize and have a kind of a, you know, break from it all, um, a little bit of headspace. Um, so I don't know, does anybody else feel the same way about that? Somebody else said, can't come on air, but can you ask the student union rep, how is it all the students have money to drink but not pay their bills and fees? And um, I did ask Asha that and she did say that they're trying to get students to maybe budget their money a little bit better. So maybe that's um, an issue that needs to be addressed by um, some, uh, by the students now, just with regards to age discrimination and bars, Mary, you wanted to comment on this. Good morning, Mary. Hello, good morning. Um, it was just something that struck me. Um, I just know um, from my own kids when they go into town, like the age at which they're allowed into a bar can vary from hour to hour as far as I'm concerned. And it's just the guy at the door can just say, oh, you have to be this age or you have to be that age. Yeah. People giving given their licences... The licence is to serve alcohol to over 18s. Yeah. That is your licence. There is no um, capacity within that, you know what I mean, for different yeah. ages. So my thing is that if they do have a policy in relation to different ages, that that should be stated on their licence or they should have to apply to the court to be able to, you know, enforce that 
mm. whatever age that they want and it should be consistent and it should be displayed. Now they don't maybe have to do it all the time but they should have have to apply at, with a reason why they are doing this, you know, at the time of their licence. If they have a policy that they serve over 23s, what, that's fine, you know. But state so it on their licence and get it approved. Like that the basis is valid, that the, that the judge who is giving them the licence to sell alcohol is satisfied that this is justified. Because what's there at the moment is just ridiculous. Like half people get in when it's, and then it, it fills up a bit or something. So mm. they decide to throw on a different age. just And then other people are left outside. And it's just... It just doesn't make sense. It's not fair to customers. You so know, you're you need not, license. Mary, sorry now, but you're yeah. just not you're not necessarily against pubs having um No, a, but an they, age they limit, need to state it up front. Okay. Yeah, and have it adjudicated on as if it's valid. Not by the bouncer at the door on the night. By the judge in the court. They're applying for a license and they need to have a good reason to deny entry to people who under the license should be able to go there. Yeah. Is uh, my is my thing. You know, that like it's just ridiculous. They let people in on a Monday night that they won't let in on a Tuesday night. Do you know it's just and as I say, it's just this guy at the door with his bit of power and there's you know, and I especially feel strongly about young girls being left out in the street. If you stop to talk to somebody yeah. all your friends get you know, on the way in and next thing all your friends are inside and you're left outside. You know, it just doesn't make sense to yeah. me because I mean, some and pubs might not it's, it's want embarrassing yeah like I mean some pubs you know we were talking there about students and yeah. students going out and maybe That's you know fine. But, you know, they mightn't want that but um, somebody has just messaged it in here to say uh, Fiona our au pair is 25 and they have fierce trouble getting into clubs because they won't let the younger au pairs in who might be 18 or 19 and that come in from you know and like that's a social like kind of thing if you're if they're going out with a group of and they're the only one not being left in or something like that they're entitled under the license to be in there and I do think that they need another basis other than the person's age to exclude them yeah it's not. It is age discriminate. I just don't understand how they are getting away with this. If they have a policy of that, they need to outline that when they're getting their license, mm. that they will not actually be selling, or may not be selling to, to the people that their license allows them to sell to. Yeah. Somebody else it's, says a know, licensing court would be yeah. a good place to decide if an yes, area needs to Yes, that's what I mean. When, yeah. you're, when you're applying for your license, if yeah. you want further restrictions, pay for them. Charge more if you want to, if you have a reason. And, you know, there are, and there's lots of other ways to kind of discourage certain groups in your pub, the type of music you play, the type of scene. Do you know what I mean? The kind of just the atmosphere yeah. inside in a pub isn't going to be conducive okay. to Very, students. But anyway, it's just the licensing court is there. They're getting a license to sell drink to over 18s. Yeah. And that, that is where it should stop. Anything outside of that to my mind, is age discrimination. Brilliant, Mary. Thank you so much. If anybody else agrees with Mary or disagrees with Mary, you can get in touch 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96. Or maybe there's a publican out there who would like to address what Mary was talking about there and would like to get in touch with us. Let us know on the opinion line this morning. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. 
Drive Home. Weekdays from 4. On Cork's 96FM. Even more chances for you to get into the draw for Sun, Samba and Styles on the Big Drive Home this week. Already, we've had excitement. Oh my God, I've been trying all week. We've had hardcore Harry fans. He does have four nipples. And we've had this. Oh my God, I'm actually going to clear up. I'm actually going to clear up. And lots more to come this week. You're listing out for the hits of Harry. Make sure you're with me every weekday from 4. The Big Drive Home. With Kevin O'Leary, Silver Springs. The new home for Suzuki and Cork. Hybrid has never been so affordable. Call now to ensure January delivery. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ today and thank you to everyone who has contributed to the conversations that we've had so far on the show this morning and if you do want to get in touch with us about anything the number to call is 0818 96 96 96 and the text and WhatsApp is 0833 96 96 96 and with regards to the conversation that we've been having about students um, the students at UCC and other universities around the country today are walking out at 11 minutes past 11 because of the cost of living crisis crisis and uh, one caller has been in touch to say there's people in trouble feeding their children and paying their mortgages and they can't walk out of their jobs at 11.11. It feels as if those of us in the defence forces for example get ignored while those with the strongest voices get sorted because we all know that they will get some of what they want whereas we will get none. Fair play to them but we can't have government by protest either. Somebody else has been in touch to say hi Fiona as Asha said there's 24,000 students in UCC alone. Another 12,000 or so in MTU in Cork. That's 36,000 students. Just because a few hundred can afford to go out on a Thursday doesn't mean that 30,000 don't struggle. All these people will have their comments and opinions should do their maths. I've never seen 34,000 students in town on a Thursday. And Atikin, you're one of those students who don't drink. Good morning. Uh, Good morning, Fiona. Yeah, so like you are going to be walking out. Are you at 11 past 11 this morning? Yeah, absolutely. I don't have a lecture at that time, but I'm walking in dedication with my fellow students who struggle with the student accommodation crisis, the cost of living crisis and the highest tuition fees in the EU. Mm. And Atkin, like, do you think that some of the comments that are coming in about students spending their money on drink instead of food are unfair? It's In my eyes, it's subjective, but it's a rich person's mindset because... Personally, I don't have enough money to be spending on drink. Mm-hmm. I'm a postgraduate student on a Susie Grant. If if you're saying to me that I, I can spend money on drink, I'd be absolutely delighted. I could go out and I like I don't drink myself, but I could have money to spare and spend myself. Mm-hmm. But that's not the reality. Students have like a thousand euro a month for student accommodation. That is thousand euro reduction will be swallowed up straight away. Yeah. And they have a growing cost of living crisis. And we have to pay the highest tuition fees in the EU, €3,000. And Atkin, if you're on a, you're a postgrad, you said, so you're not entitled to that concession for the fees. And are you then paying a huge amount in accommodation as well? Um, in my eyes, I'm actually lucky that I don't have student accommodation. I live at home with my parents in uh, north north side of Cork. Mm. But it, it just really irks me, this mentality of people that co- continuously jump on the bandwagon and come out straight away and say, 
oh, those students, they have loads of money for drink. They have nothing for themselves to spend on accommodation. I remember this time last year when UCC Students Union had to open a food bank. And I remember a certain councillor, I can't remember now, I, I don't want to comment what his name is, yeah. but he said that they have plenty of money to go out and drink and party. But what what's this mentality about? Because students, there's, as Asha said, that there's a 24,000 student population. I'd say about 5-6% of that student population go out and drink. And they're people with money. The majority of students, 95% of students, don't have that kind of money to be going out partying. And Atticon, she also said that, you know, they try to encourage students to budget because it's not fair to say to them that they shouldn't be able to go out at all, that if they're studying hard, some of them are working in part-time jobs, that they should be able to go out on a Thursday night and enjoy themselves. Yeah, that you can't just tell students to just say, oh, stop stop drinking or stop, you know, stop getting your hair cut, stop, um, stop you know, treating yourself that you you deserve. You don't, you don't have to be living, living a life like locked up in your own house or your own accommodation where you have to just cope with the cost of living. I think this mentality of, oh, just, you know, shoulder the cost and just get on with it. And I think a big problem we have in this country is that we love to knock, it, knock each other. So mm. if students are going out protesting, we have people from the other side saying, oh, what about us? Or we say, oh, those students, they just want to get out of lectures because they're lazy. But then when it comes to, let's say, pensioners, there's more of a talk about those, you know, pensioners' struggles. I think our big problem here is that in this nation, we need to come together and say enough is enough. Pensioners, migrants, students, people of um, colour, people of working class backgrounds, we all need to come together and say enough is enough. And at, the, at this moment, we have too many people, especially from wealthier backgrounds, telling people how to live. And Atkins, a caller has been in touch to say what the people criticising the students don't realise is that there are all different types of students. Some have very bad behaviour, that's true, and some are all right for themselves with money. But that in no way doesn't mean there's poverty and hardship and people struggling to put their kids through in order to get a better life. Surely it's not that hard to understand, is it? And that's kind of like what you're saying as well, that not all students are the same and that yeah, their circumstances are not all the same. Yeah, that that's my main point, again, mm. because you have the cost of living crisis continuing to go up and up and rents in Cork are continuing to go up like tenfold, even more, like at least 12, 13%. And you have like these college accommodation providers, especially the private providers, they're charging top of the range prices for accommodation that is of very low quality. And then you have the cost of living crisis with, you know, food. And as I mentioned a while ago, last year there was the food bank that was opened by the Students' Union and they had to close within, if I'm correct, 40 minutes and they ran out of food. But then you have people then, all right, maybe it's a minority, but you have people still coming out and saying these students have enough money for drink, but they don't have enough money for food. Mm. It's just, I think it's just, again, as I said, it's just this mentality that we have in Ireland that we love to knock other people away. We don't all unite together and say, this is enough. This government is like, they don't care about students. They don't care about elderly people. They don't care about anyone. And it's just, if these people stop distracting themselves by saying, those students have enough money for drink or those students are all out partying, then we might actually have a nation where we can actually come together and say, enough is enough. 
Enough is enough. Atigan, thank you so much for that. That's a great call. Do you agree with what Atigan is saying there? 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96. Now, my next guest is Judith Cuff. And Judith, will your son be going to college? Will you be faced with all of this now? <laughs> No. <laughs> so Judith, Very plainly. Your son. I was listening to Ashley there and I was thinking, oh gosh. <laughs> but you know, I, I kind of, it's funny and actually that kind of brought up a few questions myself. I have, um, I have a teenage daughter who's in fifth year at the moment who's very keen on going to college, a son in the middle who's very keen on not going to school <laughs> and, a, and a younger daughter who's, who's kind of run of the mill. She does what she's told. But like that, my eldest daughter at the moment is kind of t- talking about, you know, college and stuff like that and what mm-hmm. she wants to do. Um, and she has mentioned, we're in Wicklow, and she has mentioned several times studying in Cork and UCC because we've strong connections. We've grand- Her grandparents, my father, or my husband's parents live in Cork. Yeah. And... Um, I just have said to her several times, it's not going to be possible. We we just won't be able to afford it and that's it. And you're going to be living at home for the duration of um, your college years and mm. you'd better pick somewhere that you can access because um, it just, otherwise it's just not an option. And it's such a shame because it kind of closes people off to, to other opportunities, you know? Isn't it such a shame? And like, I know, because I went to Galway to college, so I had that whole yeah. experience of moving out of home as a, and as one of the callers yeah. said earlier, and living I'd, on pasta and beans. And it was all part of it. I'd but, love her to have that. You know, mm. I really would. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not downing it saying, you know, the past, and I mean, we, we, you know, there's an element of that, whether you're a student living at home or not, you know, you kind of learn to cut your cloth to, to get by. But this is far beyond cutting cloths. Like this is, you know, this is mm. a ridiculous situation. Um, so it's hard and I, and I feel sorry for them I really do I'm glad I'm out of that that situation myself although well, I'm going is. to go into it on the other side but that's what I was going to say to you it is hard on, on parents <clears throat> as well because like that they have to you know say to their children look you can't go to this college where you want to go because you have to live at home because we can't afford to yeah. to put you up for in, in the accommodation yeah. because the rent is so expensive absolutely she's going to have to go somewhere nearby so that's that's her but let's talk let's about, talk about your the boy so that your you know son what? just doesn't like school. <laughs> he just does not like school. And you know what? He has made it. I mean, as I, I, we were, I was joking with my husband last night and we were saying, in fairness to him, at least he's consistent. You know what? He has he has <laughs> never changed his mind on it. Um, he went in, I mean, the cuteness, the, the, the nearly white blonde hair on him in the little uniform and junior infants. And honest to God, I have the picture at home. Like, what, what could possibly go wrong? Like, angelic. Mm. Um and he just, he never, ever settled. And this is not a case. Like, And I was very careful when I was writing the article because I didn't want to kind of, you know, speak about kids who have genuine learning difficulties um, mm. or neurological problems. And, and and my son isn't one of those kids. He is just, and, and it makes him sound like a stubborn kid who's just a bit bold, you know. And, yeah. and a few people have said that to me. They're like, but, you know, school is school and that's it. And, and you know, that's it. And I, and I accept that. And I think he accepts that as well. Um, and he, he goes and he does his homework. Does he give you a he reason just, as to why Do you know what? I think, I think it's the structure. Mm. I think it's the strictness of the school. Um, I think, you know, he's he is in an all-boys school at the moment. And because it's, it's quite a large school, um, you know, and they're boys, I think that they have to be extra strict nearly because they have a lot of kids. I think teachers and, you know, um, they're they're nervous of losing control of 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 teenage boys, which I understand. You know, mm. what well, I can I I can barely handle one, <laughs> let alone a couple of hundred of them. <laughs> but um, you know, so there's a strictness there, and I think he's a very 
like he's a very kind of a fair person and he kind of stro- and this sounds terrible but but he's good at home and he's not a and you know a kid who acts out but he kind of struggles with that very strict authority of school mm. um and I sort of understand it like you know he told me a story a couple of weeks ago that you know he'd kind of scratched his back in class and you know one of the teachers had said like what, what are you doing you're talking to the person behind you said no I was actually just scratching my back are you answering me back you know yeah <laughs> there's this kind of thing of I think he he struggles with kind of losing his voice when he's not being naughty or not acting out he struggles with that very formal style of education. And I think that's what the main problem comes with. Um, but Judith, this isn't just a passing phase because he wasn't, like you say, he didn't like Montessori. He didn't like primary school. He's in secondary school now and he doesn't like secondary school either. Yeah, no. And, uh, do you know, it's funny now because he's doing subjects which he's really good at, like woodwork and stuff like that. And he loves though that, that aspect of school really suits mm. him. He's just very outdoorsy. He's very physical. He wants to be a builder. He is absolutely adamant on this. And look, hats off to him. My my dad is a builder. My brother is a builder. Um, you know, so it's it's a it's something that I've never been scared of. And third level education, I went through third level education. My husband didn't. Mm. So you know, I'm not one of these people who is insistent that their kids will have to go through a third level education. The message to my kids is, you've got to work hard. And you probably will work extra hard if you go straight out of school into an apprenticeship because you don't have that sort of break, you know, of, yeah. of going into the real world. And um, But if that's what you want to do, I will support them. At the same time, while they're in school, uh, there's no way where I'm saying, oh, look, you don't have to go today because like mm. it's you have to go every day. You know, that's the rules. And you've got to do your homework. And I'm still expecting, I'm not expecting miracle marks, but I'm expecting effort and to learn. So we're kind of using school with him as a means of kind of learning, you know, discipline, life skills of having to turn up every day because you're going to yeah. have to turn up every day in a work situation. Um, and, but you know, you having the discipline. That, you know, just what you were saying there, because you said that somebody had said to you, school is school, and you were saying that you want him yeah. to go in and, and learn that he has to be in a place at a certain time and that there has to be some sort of structure in your yeah. life. But do you think that we should look at the education system that we have and maybe, you know, the, the system that we have may just not suit everybody. So do you think that there yeah, should be 100%. options then for, for Absolutely. children? Absolutely. And, and you know what? And like a few people have, a lot of people actually have, have emailed me, messaged me and said, you know, that it sounds like I'm just kind of resigned and I'm not doing anything about it. Yeah. From my point of view, He's in second year now. So, you know, I mean, there isn't going to be a major solution in his time frame of school. But I spoke to I've spoken to a lot of people about this. And um, in particular, my dad, um, who sp- spoke about, you know, the technical colleges that were available many, many years ago when when, say, he was in school. Um, and even later, I think they kind of disappeared in kind of the 80s or the early 90s. Um, but these were schools where kids would go to if they were very much leaning towards an apprenticeship or, you know, a, a, um, you know, electronics or um, building or carpentry or, what, or, or that. And they would go to these schools and they would be nurtured in that environment. Yeah. And I 100% agree with that. Something else I 100% agree with is the the subject choices are so limited for kids um, and or sorry, not even limited. I don't even think that's the mm. right word, but we force them to do an array of subjects that they have no interest in. So yeah. like I have a girl who's very interested, you know, she's very good at languages. I was super at languages in school. I loved that. My son cannot bear languages. He doesn't 
get them. It just doesn't. It's not something mm. that comes easily. Um, you know, so I think, you know, the, 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 the system that's in England, the GCSE system, where they focus, where they pick two or three subjects and they focus on them yeah. is amazing. I mean, if I had been able to do that in school and focus on, say, English, which was something I was interested in, I loved biology and I loved mm. languages and cut out the kind of, you know, the the um, history and the geography, which, you know, I mean, I get you have to you have to know a certain amount, you know, yeah. you, you know, you just do. Um, but focusing on those subjects and letting them thrive in what they are good at. Like yeah. I know if he had the choice of doing woodwork with construction studies, with maybe electronics, he'd be flying. He'd absolutely adore school and he'd be at the peak of his class because that's what he's interested in. Yeah, because um, it's funny like so, yeah. you say that, like I remember doing the Leaving Cert and having to do, like we had to do English and Irish and Maths and you had to do Honours yeah. and I remember spending so much time on Honours Maths and learning these theorems that I've never oh, ever yeah. used in my life. No, <laughs> like, you know, and yeah. I No, maths. not once. Yeah. And like that I do get, like, it, it, like Maths is a skill that you're going to use for the rest of your life, you know, yeah. to a, to Although a, we have to our a level. phones now to add up and subtract. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We've our phones for everything, I don't know. we? Um, but, you know, so, you know, there is, I think there is that of like, you know, placing the, the kids who don't go into a normal system or don't yeah. kind of thrive. And it was funny in doing the research for this article, I spoke to a lot of teachers, I spoke to career guidance counselors, and they all said the same thing it's mostly boys. Because girls, even if girls don't like school, they like the social aspect of it. So, the, And they're more kind of compliant and they'll just say, I have to go to school and that's it. So I'm just going to go in and I'm going to see my friends. You know, so yeah. there's, there, there's the plus side of that. And I'm going to, whereas boys can be a little bit, tend to be a little more, uh, more stubborn. If they don't like it, they don't like it. Look, do you know what? I like he, I'm, and, and it was funny, I was on the radio, on another radio station last week talking about it as well. And they said, is your son difficult? And I said, no, he's an angel, you know, <laughs> and he is an angel. He is an angel. Yeah. But this is just his thing. And this is just my years for managing him through this process. And there were so many other parents who contacted me to say, oh, my God, like, I read that article and it could have been written about my son or my daughter or whatever. And it was just a case of and listening to them and saying, right, they, this is what they want to do. They want to leave school maybe at 16 and start an apprenticeship. And it's a case of listen to them, like weigh up the pros and cons. Um, will it, if, if this is what he's really driven to doing, Will it make a difference if he has a leaving cert? Mm. Um, and in some cases, you do need a leaving cert to go on to do an apprenticeship. But if, you know, if you're going the old school way where you have like a friend or a family member or someone who's willing to give them an apprenticeship, you technically don't. So it's having all the information and speaking to a career guidance person early on and, you know, letting the school know that this is the kind of the, the, the conundrum you're in. Yeah. And just as I, as I say in the article, it's a kind of a case of, of pulling him through school and kind of dragging him through um, but I have to do it at the moment. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's not resignation. It's just, that's life, you know, life and, and there's a lesson in that. Judith, thank yeah. you so much. That's Judith Cuff. Is there anybody else out there like Judith whose children just genuinely do not like school and you just feel like you're dragging them through? Do you think that the education system in Ireland needs to change to, you know, accommodate different needs of children? Let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. 
Now, of course, the ladies um, making their way to the World Cup, the Irish ladies team, um, uh, there was great excitement about that and there was a massive Cork influence on that team as well. Yesterday, PJ spoke to Sinead O'Sullivan, who's the sister of Denise O'Sullivan from Knocknahini, who was on the team. And today, um, Saoirse Noonan joins me. Good morning, Saoirse. Good morning, Fiona. Thanks for having me. Saoirse, you were on the bench for Ireland's incredible win over Scotland in Glasgow on Tuesday night. You're from Grange. Um, how did it feel to be part of the team at that moment when, when the whistle blew and you knew that you had made it through to the World Cup? To be honest, everyone was quite spe- speechless. Um, <laughs> no one wanted to know the scores of the other games either and we knew we had to win yeah. regardless of anything. Um, and I'm going to say in the last maybe 10 minutes there was someone told us that Portugal had won it just one of the girls started bawling crying and everyone was just just couldn't wait like couldn't sit down and couldn't watch and obviously Scotland were really pushing pushing the girls and the girls defending and yeah it was just amazing it was absolutely amazing scenes and there was such a great crowd there and such great Irish sport and yeah it was just an amazing night for everyone And how has the campaign been to get to where you are now? It hasn't been a straight road, but it's been um, unbelievable. We said, we said that we had, um, we would treat it like a final, yeah. and we already had when we played Finland in Tala, and we had a huge sellout crowd. Um, we played Sweden, and we got a good result. So yeah, look, it's been it's been a tough campaign, but I think since the last um, the Euros and when the girls didn't qualify, I think that was something that stuck with them and they yeah. weren't going to leave it happen again and we were going to, we were going to definitely qualify for this campaign and yeah, things, things fell our way then obviously um, at the last hurdle and yeah, everyone's over the moon. Your family must be super proud, Saoirse. Were they all watching from home? Yeah, my, my brother um, was at home. He works for sports for us. He actually wasn't there, but my mom and dad and my sister actually came over. So um, oh, brilliant. it was lovely. It was lovely to have them over there um, and share the experience with them. They're there since day one and I wouldn't be where I am without any of them. And they've traveled the whole world. So to watch me play. So yeah. Um, so will they, be, just will they be traveling over then to the World Cup? Oh, I would think so. Yeah, I'd say, <laughs> I'd say they're putting their savings together now when they're getting ready. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. to go so yeah I would, I would think they'd be there right Do you think that there'll be a big crowd travelling over from Cork for yourself and um, Denise O'Sullivan? Um, I would say as many people that can get there will get there obviously Australia is not the easiest place to get to but mm. I think people will go above and beyond to get there and they'll use they'll use it as their summer holidays they'll use it as a once in a lifetime 
trip and I've already got texts that a lot of um, Irish are heading over to live there so I'm sure they'll They'll round up the troops and there'll be a great, great crowd, but um, everyone's just so excited now. There definitely will. And as you say, there's a huge Irish contingent over in Australia and New Zealand. So there will be a huge amount of people, I would imagine, at those matches. And of course, we'll all be getting up in the middle of the night to, to watch the matches. Well, do you think that, um, do you know, like travelling over so far away uh, from home, that that will have any kind of an impact on the players? Like, will you have to go over a couple of weeks beforehand to acclimatise yourselves? Um, yeah, I would think we'll probably go over early and it'll probably be a long old trip. But mm. I think the whole excitement and the build up and at the end of the day, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, we're going to be playing in the World Cup. We've made history and everyone's going to be wanna, everyone's going to want to be part of it. Excuse me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it will be a big it will be a big change and there will be half um, things that we'll have to do differently in the build up. And it will, will be a longer campaign than usual. But again, look, it's a World Cup and I think we have to look at it like that. And Saoirse, just talk to me a little bit about your own um, soccer journey. Like, how did you end up on the team? So, I actually used to play with the boys. Um, my brother's team, Killarine, and then I signed up to Hall when I was like 13. Yeah. Um, from there, I went and played with Cork City um, for about six seasons. Um, I was playing Gaelic football at the same time. Um, and I was kind of on the fringes of the Irish team and I knew if I wanted to really... I suppose, make my dent, I'd have to focus fully on soccer. So I decided to stop playing Gaelic football um, and then eventually moved to Shelburne. Um, And yeah, just there I kind of got my debut. It was a a month ago, a year ago this month. So last October I got my debut um, in Tala against Sweden Mm. and started this campaign. And yeah, I've been on the team ever since. So it's been a a great journey and I've been delighted to be part of it. And has it always been your dream to go to the World Cup or was that just, you know, something that was like just, I don't know, maybe like a a far-fetched kind of a dream that you never thought was going to be possible? Yeah, like I think as a child growing up, you kind of dream of playing for Ireland in these big major tournaments, but, Mm. and you hope that you will get there. And then I think when, when I definitely made my Irish debut, I was kind of like, wow, this is, this is the, the best you get now. Like, this isn't going to... We're a small nation. We compete with big teams, but will we ever make it to something major? And I think at the start of last season, there was just such a good buzz and everyone felt confident. And even though we're a small country and we play big other countries, it doesn't matter. It's 11 v 11. And mm. we go out there, we have so much heart and we have so much pride and we all want to play for one another. And yeah, I think, I think that's when you kind of start realising this could actually be this dream could be a reality and Tuesday night was just, I don't think it's fully sank in yet that we're actually going to the World Cup. <laughs> was there but, a big uh, yeah. reaction when you came back to Grange? Was there a big welcome home for you? Um, I actually haven't got home. Ah! So, yeah, we only, we only flew back to Dublin on Tuesday or Tuesday night and then I had to come straight back over to Durham. Oh, no um, way. So when are you going to get back to Grange? Probably won't get back to Grange. Another month, I'd say, um, for my graduation. Hopefully, I get home for that. So, from college, so um, November probably. Ah, brilliant. Well, I'm sure that the flags will be out for you and that the people will be delighted to see uh, Sinead or Sirsha. And uh, best luck with it all. And I'm sure we'll chat again before the World Cup. 
Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. No hassle at all. And I'm sure there are Revolut Savings Vault set up all over Cork in the next few months to pay for the World Cup next year. And if you are planning on going over, you might get in touch and let us know. Have you already started the saving? 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Now, Ed, you were listening to the conversation that we were having about students having a wild time and not having enough money to, to feed themselves because they're out partying all the time. What was your reaction to that? Uh, I've heard it all before on a regular basis. I mm. mean, look, um, the fact of the matter is the cost of the living crisis is a reality. And it's a reality for all of us. And it's as much a reality for students as it is for anybody else. And, you know, the point about one of the things you need to learn to do with your money is manage it any way you see fit. Mm. And if you want to waste it on uh, bars of chocolate or pints of beer, that's your business and you suffer the consequences. So, I mean, it's nonsense to talk in those terms. But the truth of the matter is, if there's any talk about cutting back on what the money that students get, what you're actually doing is you're disadvantaging people from the lower economic groups. Yeah. I was the first person in my family to go to university and I could only go there because there were grants. This was back in, in England in the 60s. Mm. And there's no way if somebody had said to me, you know, you want to go to university, but you're going to come out with a debt... I wouldn't have gone. You know, it's as simple as that because there's no way I would have risked a debt. And these days, even if you're slightly better off, if you go to university, you're going to finish it with a debt on your hands. This nonsense about buying education, like, you know, buying a car or buying, uh, well, as the ladies were saying earlier, a hairdo, it's just, it's, it's complete nonsense. I mean, education is for the benefit of society. It benefits the individual. But if we had an uneducated society, we'd be back purely providing cheap labour and cheap cattle for the British Empire. Mm. I mean, it's education that actually allows people to have choices. I mean, my kids, going back to your, your last conversation, I mean, my kids both left school as soon as they could yeah. um, because they were bored, basically. Yeah. And like now one of them is in Irish distillers management. And the other one has been, uh, uh, you know, he has a fishing skipper's ticket. He's been the skipper of a ferry and he'll probably go into commercial shipping and so on as an officer. And he's, mm. it's not because he stayed at school. It's because when he found something that interested him, he started to study. And, you know, the, the actually to insist that kids do something that bores them, he's, he's asking for trouble. Mm. And it's pointless. I mean, OK, <laughs> you get some people who don't want to do anything. Um, but those people who don't want to do anything won't. That's it. You have that in the workplace as well, don't you? You have people who are just like, you know, happy to just sit there doing nothing all day and then other people will just go above and beyond. Yeah, and the vast majority of people don't. The vast majority of people, that what is a nightmare, the greatest torture in the world, is is boredom. That's Mm -hmm. why solitary confinement, the UN defines it as, as, as being torture because being bored is one of the worst things you can possibly do. And if if students get to university and they're offered you know courses which are interesting Mm. and meaningful they'll do them that's the plain truth and they'll probably have a damn good time at the same time and why shouldn't they that's what we all want to do you know that's exactly what asha woodhouse was saying as well you know why shouldn't they go out and enjoy themselves on a thursday night if that's what they want to do like yeah if they work all week they're entitled to spend the money any way they can. And I mean, if they choose to spend it drinking on a Thursday and can't eat on Friday, that's their problem. You well, know, they might be able to but eat it anyway with the hangover. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't 
it doesn't mean they should get less. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, this, no, I this, is, this is the, 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 the complete nonsense. I mean, we we are in a situation now where, um, you know, the, the economy as, as, and the world economy has been royally smashed mm-hmm. and it's been smashed because of the greed of, let's, let's face it, oil companies, gas companies. They are making record profits and they're declaring them. I don't understand why governments are, are not doing something about it. So Ed, they do you support this, uh, this walkout that the students are doing at 11 minutes past 11 this morning? Yes. Because they, they need, you know, it, it's, it's proved its point already. Yeah. They've got publicity on your programme and other programmes. And the great thing about any kind of demonstration is it encourages the spirit of those involved. It encourages the feeling that they're all together and they're not on their own. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's far too easy, whether you're a student or a, a worker or a, a somebody, you know, stuck at home minding kids or... Well, mind you, that's interesting in itself. But... Um, but wherever you are, if you're on your own, there's a great tendency to think the problems you're suffering from are your problems and somehow it's your fault. Yeah. And if people actually act together, they then realise, no, it's not. I'm in the same boat as a lot of other people. And I mean, arguably, if this doesn't work, they need to do more. I mean, and there, there is a, you know, there's going to be a big cost of living demonstration on the 12th of November. And mm. I'd, I'd advise any student to be in that plus anything else students organise, because it, it is necessary to get the government to realise that they have to do something, and they can. Yeah. Do you know I what think I mean? we're going to have a lot more of these cost-of-living protests, and I'd imagine that they're just going to continue getting bigger and bigger. Ed Harper, thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning, and we will be going live to UCC again before the end of the show, where 96FM reporter Katie O'Keefe is going to be covering that massive walkout by the students at UCC this morning. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with the latest in Cork entertainment. Uncus Andreacta opens at Triscoll Arts Centre on October 21st as part of a nationwide tour. Composed by Johnny O'Connolly in tribute of his late father, the renowned and much-loved Connemara Melodian player, the work features an ensemble of acclaimed artists who seamlessly weave the music from oral art forms into song and poetry in a very moving and uplifting musical tribute to the King of Melodian. Access all areas. There's still some tickets left for the intimate shows of this year's Autumn Air, featuring Bell X1's Paul Noonan, Jerry Fish, The Scratch and Brona Gallagher. Taking place next month in Watches of Mitchell Sound, tickets are on sale from Ticketmaster and AutumnAir.live. Access all areas. If you have a gig, exhibition or any entertainment news coming up in the next few weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas on AAA at 96FM.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the on Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. Loads of you getting in touch about the conversation um, about students and you know, claiming to be on the poverty line and they're walking out at 11 minutes past 11. And I was talking to UCC Students Union President Asha Woodhouse and she did mention that the UCC Food Bank is no longer giving out food, that they're giving vouchers. And a caller has been in touch to say, um, if you're on the look, the chances are transport is hard and you can't be going from shop to shop because of out-of-stock products and so on. So she doesn't believe that changing over to vouchers is a good idea. Plus, a food bank has generally fairly healthy choices, whereas people with vouchers 
workers exhausted from trudging around might make poor choices. I know of no supermarket near a college. Um, thank you for that. That's actually a really good point. And, um, you know, if, if they went to the food bank, they would be guaranteed to get some sort of healthy food, as you say, whereas if they're going to go into the supermarket themselves, um, God only knows what they're going to buy. Um, somebody else has been in touch to say, I've always given my kids home-cooked lasagna, shepherd's pies, curry sauce when they were at college. They came home at the weekends, cooked them some stuff, um, and they cooked some stuff themselves. I did a small shop for them as well, and if they were living at home, I would feed them, so why not at college? That's a really good point, Annie, and um, you know, I know a lot of students who are living away from home maybe do go home at the weekends, and maybe that would be their chance to do some bulk uh, cooking like that, and they could freeze some of the dishes and, and bring them back with them, or, well, freeze them once they come back. Um, um, but even like if you teach the, the students themselves how to cook, I mean, like to cook, uh, um, what you call a spaghetti bolognese, doesn't cost that much money, and they could make it in bulk and it could feed them for a couple of days. So, yeah, definitely. Um, I hear you on that one, Annie. Um, I think you know teaching students before they go away um, to cook is a great idea and I always say to my son before he leaves home he's going to know how to do at least seven dishes so at least he'll have one home cooked meal every day uh, somebody else has been in touch to say school is there to educate not to train pupils for jobs that is the job of third level or an apprenticeship scheme if these absolutists had their way children wouldn't even know what the sky, that the sky is blue thank you so much for that and that's in relation to the call I was uh, or when I was talking to Judith about her uh, her son who just genuinely does not like school um, and if anybody um, you know else has a, a child who genuinely does not like school maybe they didn't like school themselves you can let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 also the Premier League live is back on 96fm.ie with Trevor Welch this Saturday from midday and is powered by Talk Sport he'll bring you live coverage of Leicester v Crystal Palace at 12.30, Wolves v Nottingham Forest at 3 and Spurs take on Everton at 5.30. The Premier League live online with Harvey Norman, your home off the big screen. Listen Saturdays on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Now to something completely different. Um, on at the council meeting on Monday the 10th of October Cork County Council meeting Audrey Buckley called for a pet cemetery for Cork she says there's one in Kerry Cavan and Wexford it's cheaper than cremation which is very popular and not many people own their own house and gardens these days so a pet cemetery could be a great idea good morning Audrey if you're having me on. Yeah, thank you for joining us. A pet cemetery, um, when I read it, first of all, I thought it was, when I just saw the headline, I said, what is this about now? But then as I read through the article and what you, the points that you were making, it does make a lot of sense because I think a lot of people, when their pet sadly passes away, they will bury it in the back garden, which is, um, which, you know, you were saying that's not a very good idea. It might not be healthy for the environment. And also a lot of people may not have a back garden. Yeah, and um, you know, I I think how this stemmed from um, I met uh, an older woman there a few months ago, and uh, she was very upset. She, her older dog was, um, you know, was 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 quite old, and and she, you know, was ready to to look at, you know, maybe you know, putting him to sleep. But she was in a rental accommodation, and she was moving, and you know, she was just very upset about it, and. Mm. And I kind of thought, you know what, a lot of us actually aren't that fortunate enough to have a garden big enough to bury.
very um, uh, a loved pet, you know, because pets are part of our family. Um, uh, and, you know, like I think uh, there's over 500,000 dogs in Ireland um, and I don't know how many cats there is. Mm. So um, I kind of looked into it a bit more and um, in, in Munster, like so Cork City and Cork County Council, we don't have a crematorium for pets and we don't have a pet cemetery. Um, there's one pet cemetery in Newland, Dublin, but um, I, I'm not sure even if they're, if they're actually working anymore. It's a private company. So I, I just wanted really a feasibility study to be done in Cork County Council um, to to find out, um, you know, pets are loving members of our family and, mm. um, you know, we all memorialise our pets and it's just very unfortunate nowadays, you know, we have a lot of people living in apartments, um, new homes now have small gardens, um, there's laws in place that you can't bury your pet within 1.5 metres of, um, of, of, of from a water source. Mm. So it, it's just something that kind of brought to the fore. And I will tell you, I've been inundated with calls and um, from people very upset and thinking it's a great idea and they would love to see something like this put in place for, for, month, for the Munster area, not for County Cork, for Munster. Because as you said there, I mean, pets become part of the family for so many people and they are absolutely like people are absolutely devastated when their pet passes away so it would be nice for them to have a place where they could go and visit and you know maybe remember them and maybe put some sort of a a monument there to mark where their their pet is um you know and it's it, it seems like a really good idea and I know, and you know, like it's not at the priority list at the moment what's going on in the world and in Ireland. Um, um, but I, I just think it's something that uh, I would like to see Cork County Council look at. Um, you know, it was mentioned even if a private landowner um, had had some a few acres of land and wanted to do a memorial garden with trees and um, you know walkways and somewhere that um, this could be um, incorporated. You know, in the county which would be fantastic um you know it costs about 300 euros to get your pet cremated and we don't have a crematorium for pets in Munster so mm. they previously they were sent to the north of Ireland um we do now have a pet cemetery in in Kerry so the the dogs would be or the pets would be picked up from um, veterinarian places in the Munster area um, and um, I did a small bit of digging pardon the pun but um I um, uh, and and do they get collected every two weeks? And if you can afford the to get them cremated, you get the 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 ashes back. But you know, um, I think it's brought other things to the fore because I was told by one um one veterinarian place that I called that dogs people that can't afford the crematorium, the pets get euthanized. It costs about a hundred euros, and and um, I I'm not sure where they these pets are going. Are I'm they going to the landfill or you know? Yeah. Stay on the line there, Audrey, because I have Vincent Cashman from the CSPCA. Good morning, Vincent. Okay. Good morning, Fiona. Vincent, what do you think of Audrey's proposal for a pet cemetery in Cork? I think it would be a good idea. I think there would probably be a lot of support for it, as Audrey has stated. Mm. And I think the vast majority of vets, I'd say, would be in favour of it as well. Why do you think that the vets would be in favour of it? You see, as it stands currently, you, you're, you, you're caught with options. Um, you can there there are there's a company out there um, Pets to Rest um, that a lot of vets use and they organise the cremation of your pet. Mm. 
So you get it back, then you can get it back in um, a small casket or a box or or container. And that, it, it, it is expensive. Um, and going on what they do in the UK, you can, again, it varies on price. Mm. But um, burial of pets in the UK ranges from 500 up to seven, 800 pounds, depending, yeah. because you're paying for the maintenance of the, of the of the grave as well. And do you think that people here would pay that? Probably not as much as that. Mm. No, it may, and it may not cost that much. But again, you're looking at a niche market. Mm. And and like Audrey was saying there, that um, you know some people have to get their pets euthanized, but they don't know then after that what happens with the with the with the pet. Well, the vets the vets will organise the disposal. There is there are companies out there that dispose of the of the euthanized animals. And I suppose, Vincent, like, you know, as I was saying to Audrey there, people become so attached to their pets and, you know, they would like, to, I think, the idea of being able to go somewhere and, and visit them if they're, if they're buried in, in a sort of a pet cemetery. Yes. The only thing that I would say is you would probably have to have one for, based on travelling and distance and everything else, you're probably looking at one for each county. Right, Okay. You know what I mean? Like if your yeah. if your dog was buried in Tipperary, you you might do it once a year or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you wouldn't like have one for the whole of the Munster region in Cork. You, you, You'd have to. You have could one do. Every, yeah. You could do, but I mean, if for for ease of distance, for for travelling to 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 go to the to the grave, you know, mm-hmm. some people then as well they have um, in the UK they have areas where the ashes can be scattered. Okay. So you don't actually have you have a communal area where the ashes can be okay. can be scattered. And Audrey, back to you. Uh, what kind of reaction yeah. did it get when you put this to the council? Um, well, you know, I, to be honest, uh, nobody disagreed with me. Um, I think it was food for thought for a lot of people. But it, it also asked the questions about where are the corpses going from the pets that aren't being cremated. Yeah. I'm still waiting to get an answer back on that for environmentally, you know, are they going to landfill? I was told um, some of them go to Kerry to landfill previously. Um, so I'd like to know that. Um, you know, it's very upsetting when when a pet, so when a family pet dies. I just think a memorial garden would be fantastic. I mean, you have them all over Europe. The first one in America was registered in the 1890s. I mean, people bring sticks to their little memorial, uh, you know, to these, uh, they have, uh, you know, different uh, headstones for their pets. And I just think it's a nice thing to do. And um, I think, you know, it's very upsetting when a pet does die. So it would be nice to to be able to go to somewhere like this, you know? Absolutely. Brilliant. Listen, it's a great idea and if anybody out there uh, would like to get in touch and let us know what they think about the idea 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Thank you for joining me on that. That is Councillor Audrey Buckley and Vincent Cashman from the CSPCA. Just um, going back to earlier in the show this morning, I was speaking to Bernard Lynch of Lynch's Centra in Crosshaven and he's gone viral because of his pronunciation of the word sushi and he called it sushi and I think it's what did he say it was like 74,000 views um, on, on it already and uh, Bear has been in touch to say morning Fiona I don't know Bernard personally but I heard he is a fantastic person to work for he seems like great crack if more people that run a business could be like Bernard what a happy 
staff, they would have a thanks a million bear for that. And that is so true. I think if you have a happy manager who's a bit of crack and, um, you know, gets the best out of the staff, it's, um, you know, I think it just makes for a lovely environment all around and fair play to Bernard. He was a good laugh. And um, if anybody wants to watch that video, we do have it up on our Twitter. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ today and you heard Vic mention there the Harry Styles competition and it's the final week to qualify for Cork's 96FM Sun, Samba and Styles and you would be living it up in Brazil for five nights with flights, hotels, spending money and tickets to Harry Styles Love on Tour on December the 8th so stay listening now for this hour because I am going to be playing a Harry Styles song at some uh, time over the next uh, hour and um, if you hear the song ring and um, I will ask you a very difficult Harry Styles question <laughs> and if you get it right then you will be in the draw so stay tuned in this hour for Harry Styles song um, now speaking of songs um, I was speaking earlier to Saoirse Noonan about the um, our, the Ireland uh, football team the girls and their win and going to the World Cup and of course there has been huge controversy, controversy yesterday over their celebrations in the dressing room afterwards and the song that they were singing and and um, somebody has been in touch to say, I remember going into my local GAA club, the 80s, when Ireland beat Malta to qualify for the European Cup. We had a great sing-song. We're off to Dublin in the green, etc., etc. I would like to apologise to Jeff- Jeffrey Donaldson for joining in with those misguided people and say I will confess it next time I go to confession. Obviously, that comment is tongue-in-cheek. Uh, somebody has said, I'm disgusted that the Irish team apologised. The song is about Celtic Football Club. That apologise was not on my behalf and thank you very much for that John do you agree what do you think of the controversy around the song that they sang they um you know, a lot of people were saying that it was misguided, that, um, you know, maybe like there was a Sky Sports um, reporter saying that maybe the, the young people of Ireland should have a better history lesson of what happened in our history. Other people say, let them celebrate. Maybe they didn't even realise what the, the song meant. Let us know what you think. 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Now, we also have been talking about the students and their walkout this morning, which is going to be happening in a few minutes time and councillor Ted Tynan has been in touch to say I fully support the students in their walkout the energy companies should be nationalised and the state solve the housing crisis by setting up a state construction company and take out the profit motive somebody else has been in touch to say walk up Bandon Road any day or night and you see the inverted commas hungry students and it's not just Thursday nights it's every night they are well able to go to off licences and pubs all around the south side ask any elder person living there. Uh, we also spoke to Atagan from the north side. He's a student and somebody has been in touch to say that young fellow from the north side great bit of stuff. He should run as a TD on behalf of students and us. He would get my vote and that came in from Jimmy. 
Also, uh, Michelle has been in touch to say, we need to support and stand by our students. They are our future. They'll be looking after us in time to come, be it in hospitals, our schools, etc. Stop giving out and support one another. I also feel that the government needs to put a cap on the rent. Those in government have properties all around the city. They are making the money. This is why it has not been done before now. Thank you very much. Keep your comments coming in to us on that 083 96 96 96. Did I just give out the wrong number there? <laughs> oh, 83 96 96 96. Um, and I was saying there earlier that Katie O'Keefe, our news reporter, is going out and about talking to students. She has been over to MTU um, and she's been talking to Isabel Kavanagh. She says that there's a huge crowd of students out there this morning too. And here's the clip that she sent us in of her conversation with Isabel Kavanagh. So what's going to happen at 11 minutes past 11? Um, so at 11 11, we're asking students to leave their classes with their lectures in solidarity for all the students who are struggling um, struggling with the cost of living, struggling with the cost of accommodation. We're asking them all to come down to the West Atrium um, in the Bishopstown campus and it's also going to be live streamed to the satellite campuses in NMCI, Crawford and Cork School of Music as well. And what's actually led to this day? Well to be honest the goal of this student walkout is to raise awareness about the severe struggles that our students are facing and obviously the detrimental effects that the cost of living and accommodation crises are having on our students. We appreciated what happened in the budget, but it wasn't enough. I don't think people realised that it was a once-off offering. It was a once-off reduction. So we're going to be back in the same stage that that we were last year, next year, with the fees. We're going to be back to square one. And I suppose we just want to let struggling students know that they're not alone in this fight. And I, on behalf of, of MTU Quark Students Union, want to let all these students know that we're all here for you and we're ready and waiting to fight for your rights and to ensure that your voice is heard on the national level. Um, so this event is just to highlight the issues that the struggles that students are facing and the detrimental effects. And I guess this is on the cost of living crisis, but this is going to lead to a mental health crisis. Like, are students dropping out because they just can't go? Definitely, yeah. We've had students coming to us that they they started off trying to commute to college because they didn't get accommodation. And then when they figured out they couldn't get parking here, they couldn't get the bus because the routes aren't the, the routes just aren't up to scratch. Um, so they just said it's, it's not worth their while wasting their petrol to come out here just to have to go home again and not be able to go to their class. So people are definitely thinking of dropping out. Um, I think there's going to be an absolute mental health crisis straight after this. People are going to be absolutely at their wits end um, with nowhere to live. So, yeah. And since the budget, has there been any, like, conversation between local representatives, government, anything? Um, no one has come particularly to me to talk about it. Um, I, I think the government are aware that we aren't happy with the announcement of the budget. Um, while we did appreciate this, the, the bit that they did, it definitely wasn't enough to help our students. Um, I would be open to having a chat with local local TDs and the government on it um, to see if there's any more we can talk about it. Um, I know that the university in general met Simon Harris recently with myself and we outlined the, st- the struggles students are facing then at our strategy launch in MTU Kerry. Um, so he's definitely aware that it's still a problem. And every third level college across the country is doing this today. There is no way they are missing it, not going to hear about it. What do you want them to hear today? I want them to hear that students are struggling and students are the future and they won't be able to be their best their best self with the crises that are happening at the moment. They can't even, they can't go get into class. So in turn, their attendance is dropping, their academic standards are dropping, their grades are dropping and eventually they're, they're just going to drop out and we're going to lose the future of tomorrow because of these crises. 
thank you for that, Katie. That was Katie speaking to Isabel um, over in MTU. And she says that it might be worth a mention that MTU's action is being live streamed to CSN, Cork School of Music, National Maritime College of Ireland, Crawford College of Art and Design. So any students not on the main third level campuses will, will but are still in third level education can still get involved. Um, as somebody has been in touch with us to say if they stopped eating avocado on toast they'd be fine. They all have fancy phones. They can't be that poor. I joke. It's lousy on them. It really is. There's only so tight the purse strings can get. I'm sure some could pull tighter all the same. Thank you very much for that. Um, I'm not sure if they're all eating avocado on toast <laughs> with their fancy phones and taking photographs off their avocado on toast and posting them on Instagram. But um, yeah, I mean, like there's a lot of, I think there's very divided opinions on this uh, protest this morning. Some people saying that um, the students are dead right, get out on the street, protests, cost of living is out of control. Other people saying that the students are not that poor, they still have money for drink, but um, keep your comments coming in to us on this. And somebody has been in touch to say that the students actually missed out on a trick by having their protest at 11 minutes past 11 today. They should have actually had it at 10 past 10 on the 10th of October, which would have been Monday, so they should have. it would have been the 10th of the 10th at 10 past 10. So there you go. Now, students, <laughs> you'll know better for next year. Uh, just as well, uh, before the news, I was speaking to uh, Councillor Audrey Buckley and Vincent Cashman from the CSPCA about um, an idea to have a pet cemetery here in Cork. And during the conversation, uh, we were talking about um, if a pet has been euthanized at the vet, what happens with them after that? So Vincent has been back in touch with us to say anybody can ask their vet if a pet has been euthanized or has been found dead. Uh, you can ask what is being done with the with the deceased. Generally they are cremated but they are communally cremated. If you want the ashes of your pet you have to pay a little bit more but you can always find out what happens to the remains. Thank you very much for that Vincent and I'm sure that's um, going to be um, useful, uh, a useful tip for anybody who has a beloved pet who may pass away. Uh, coming up after the ad break I have a mad story for you. It's about uh, seagulls and contraceptive pills. <laughs> Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Courts 96FM. Now we all know that seagulls can be an absolute pain when we're out and about, especially if we're eating our bag of chips by the seaside and they're uh, circling around overhead and some of the more brave seagulls will come down and uh, grab the chips right out of your hand. Um, but there has been an idea that has been um, muted and it's um, that contraceptive pills be fed to seagulls um, and, and you know that you put the pill into pieces of bread and leave it out for for the birds but Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland believes that this idea is flawed and not thought out properly. Good morning Niall. Good morning how are you? Is it as mad an idea as I'm thinking Niall? 
<laughs> I, I can definitely, you know, I can definitely see how someone might suggest this. It's something that we in Bird Return would be opposed to for, for a number of reasons. So first of all, from, from the point of view that the, the birds in question, herring gulls, they're actually a threatened species in Ireland. The mm. population has declined by 90% over the course of 30 years. So the electric representatives are, are suggesting that um, that their populations be, be, be limited or their reproductive capacity be reduced. That's, that's pretty terrible in the middle of a biodiversity crisis. Mm. We need to look at the gulls and, and their antisocial behaviour, not as the problem itself, but as the, the symptom of a much bigger problem, which is the destruction of the marine environment, it's disturbance of their nesting sites, being overrun with predators and with human trespassers on, in their nesting grounds. It's um, failing to deal correctly with rescue management. It's um, failing to stop people deliberately feeding the birds, therefore making them associate food with, with humans, but also allowing the nesting opportunities on roofs. So that's, from that point of view, we'd be opposed, be opposed to any efforts uh, to, to do this. However, that said as well, it's also something that's not workable at all. Um, the, the, the suggestion seems to have come from a similar sounding project, which um, was developed somewhere in, in, in Belgium, where um, corn that had been treated with uh, mm. contraceptive medicine had been given to, to pigeons. Um, and, they, and, and that was limiting the, the number of these feral pigeons in, in city streets. Now, gulls are very different creatures. First of all, um, we don't even know if such, if such medication exists for gulls. Uh, gulls and pigeons are biologically extremely dif- different. But also, it would be impossible to ensure that a bird is getting the correct dosage, which wasn't being massively overdosed. And also, I don't see how it would be possible to prevent other non-target species from consuming yeah. this. Um, that's there's the thing, no- I mean, like, I don't know what it, where it is in the bird world, but like, you know, for, for women, when you're taking the contraceptive pill, you have to take it every day so do you know if you're just putting um pills and various bits of food all around the place sure you have no idea what like you know one bird might take 10 in a day one bird might not have any uh, precisely right that's, uh, that's it and of course then other birds that aren't targeted this will eat them and presumably dogs will eat them as well mm. um, and who knows what effect it would have on those um, so from that point of view it's, it's, it's not uh, it's not workable and um, also the fact is that gulls are pretty long-lived birds they can live for 25 or 30 years or more and so the fact is if they're not reproducing which again at a time when the species are threatened that is not not a good message to be sending but if that was the case the birds that are causing these problems aren't going to stop their behavior they're still going to try to nest they're still going to and um, they're still going to want food and be looking at that, feeding that way so i think that a much better way to to um to address this is rather than try to change the bird's behavior which is a futile exercise better to change our own behavior as humans we need so to do more we, to, yeah like how can yeah. we change our behavior because like the gulls can be um, a nuisance because they do come down and they like you know they take whatever food is there um, even if it's out of your hand Um, so how do we stop that behaviour from happening? Yes, and, and you're absolutely right. It is a nuisance. It's not something that I would wish uh, anybody to experience. It's not, it's not at all pleasant. Mm. Um, the, the fact of it is that that behaviour has started because people were originally feeding food to gulls. So people, the gulls would normally have a naturally a natural healthy fear of humans. Some of them, and it's only a small minority, have managed to overcome that fear um, because people are throwing them chips and throwing them the end of the sandwiches. And then they, become, they associate humans with food, they feel entitled to it, and then others pick up on this behaviour as well. So first of all, one thing we could do is to, to stop that. Now, of course, that won't stop the goals necessarily that have already learned this bad behaviour from, from, from continuing with it. But that's only part of the food that they eat. I think what we need to do is we need to, to address that need. So one, one is to, to do more to restore their natural food um, stocks. So we're seeing depletion of the marine ecosystem because of overfishing. We're seeing a lagging behind of, of, of um, establishing marine protected areas to protect our marine wildlife in Ireland. Those are steps that will provide more natural food for goals and will make a difference. Mm-hmm. We need to do more to safeguard their breeding ground so they feel more secure there. We're going to have to come and nest in urban areas because they do that because they no longer feel that their breeding grounds are secure. And I think what's crucial is one of the main sources of food um, in these areas, especially in seaside towns, it's not from 
taking food from people's hands, although that does, of course, happen. It's an emerging events. So, yeah. you know, a modern, you know, it's, no, it's not a modern refuse collection system to have food waste in black bin bags strewn on the street. As I see, I, I live I'm in Dublin myself, and I see this on Dublin Street all the time. We see black bin bags full of food left out in the street for the food to be collected. Gulls will know what those are. They rip them open to find the food inside, and we see the gulls doing that because they do it during the daytime. You can be sure that rats and foxes and other creatures mm. are doing it at night. You also I see over from the gulls that are doing that. I've seen crows here in Cork doing it. Um, you know yes. that they just tear the bags apart and rip out all the food, and you know it's it's like. Well, how do we? So how do we? Do we need to look at the way our uh, refuse is collected then? So. Yes, I think very, very much so. And I think that there's lots of benefits to that, not just um, helping to, to, to curb this bad behaviour from the gulls, but also very much has an, an, a big impact in reducing the number of rats and mice, mm. um, urban foxes as well, scavenging on these things at night too. Because nature abhors a vacuum. And even if all the gulls were to disappear overnight, which is something that we would hate, but some people might, might, might celebrate that idea. I do understand that. But even if that did happen, there's still a huge amount of food waste out there and other mm. creatures are going to take that. And just we see the gulls during, during the day. And I know that they're big and they're, they're intimidating. And, and it's, 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 it's important that they don't learn to link humans with food. But a good way to do that is to reduce the access to it. Also, having refuse bins as well, even the public bins on streets that are often overflowing or big openings in the top that a bird can easily fit in when they know there's food in there. The temptation is just too great, especially at a time when it's finding they're finding it hard to find food elsewhere. So they take the easy option, just as we humans often would in their position. So I think that we need to look at that a lot more carefully. You, you said there that they're big. I, are, is it my imagination or have seagulls become much bigger in the last couple of years? And is from all the chips they're eating. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a common misconception, actually. So there's many different species of gulls, and some are bigger than others. So the two of the most frequent ones you'll see are the, the herring gull, which is the, the, the one that has the, the silvery grey back and black wingtips and uh, yellow beak with a red spot on it. Mm. They're very big. And there's another species, the black-headed gull, which is less than half the size of that. It's also quite common around um, uh, around urban areas. So maybe some of the people are conflating the two. But the fact of it is, when you see a gull in the distance, it just looks like a normal bird. When you're up close to a herring gull, you realise mm. these are actually really large birds. And no, they have, but they haven't got any bigger. And we, can, we, we know that for sure because we have specimens and measurements going back centuries mm. of these birds from museums and so on. So no, they, they've always been big. So it's not about their diet at all. It's actually actually the, the diet's not terribly healthy for them. And they, they, they we, we do know that when they're feeding more on this kind of junk food, actually yeah. it shortens their lifespan. It's a bit less healthy for them. Really? I was just cause yeah. I was going to mm. ask you that. Like, if they're eating all like you know the, the rubbish out of the bins and whatever else, like, is what kind of is that having an impact on them, or is their digestive system able for it? The digestive system is able to it for a degree, but of course it's highly processed food that they would normally encounter in nature. And a lot of it tends to be very high in fat, very high in carbohydrate, but not necessarily so high in, in proteins and essential vitamins and minerals that they need as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, we do find that when birds rely too much on this sort of human handouts, it's not good for them. A very good example of this would be ducks in, in urban and suburban parks. Um, one of the biggest killers of ducklings, people don't realise, it's bread. Um, they're fed huge amounts of bread in, in urban places like Cork and Dublin and Galway, Limerick, over the country uh, and what happens is those those chicks they, they learn to eat this food it's full of carbohydrate but it doesn't have any of the protein they need to grow their muscles and grow their feathers they become weak and many of them die people are feeding the birds because they want to do a nice mm. thing but it's actually very inappropriate to feed bread yeah, ducks there's actually so. an area here in Cork called the Loch and it's full of birds and, and yes. ducks and swans but they do have signs up around the Loch now saying please don't feed bread to the birds and you see people coming in with green vegetables for them yes 
much better. Absolutely, it's much more, much more mimics what they would eat in the wild because most of these birds they eat things like pondweed and algae that they find in, in the ponds, and, and actually in many cases they prefer that to bread. It's much healthier for them. So yeah, green vegetables, the tops of uh, the tops of celery and carrots, a lot more potato peelings can work very well too, and um, less cabbage, things like that. Uh, peas work very well as well, um, yeah, and they're much more like actually mentioned food. in yeah. there that they feed the ducks down at the lock frozen peas, and they're wondering should they cook them first. Oh no, there's no need, no need to cook them first. No, absolutely. No, um, that, that's, uh, that, 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 that birds aren't used to having cooked food, so they can perfectly process the nutrients. Um, I like raw peas myself, I have to say, so yeah, no harm for the birds. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh yeah, they're delicious, yeah. And <laughs> apparently you're supposed to give uh, frozen peas into a fish tank as well if, you're, if your fish is kind of floating in a funny way. Oh, yeah, oh I didn't know that one, okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Somebody says give peas a chance. <laughs> <laughs> So, Niall, anyway, um, we were talking about the, the contraceptive pill for the gulls. Maybe not such a good idea. No, I think, you know, it, it's an easy way to grab headlines and it might seem like a, like a solution, but it's, it's just not practically workable. Um, you know, as you said, the questions around the dosage and the issues there of, of, of other species consuming them as well and having effects, you know, different, many different species respond very differently to different medicines. You know, even we even see that with, with human medicine, certain things like, you know, um, medicine we take for granted, like ibuprofen, it's deadly poisonous to cats, for example. Things like um, uh, grapes and raisins and chocolate, very poisonous to dogs, things that we take for granted. So the physiology of different birds is different from each other as well. Um, so that needs to be borne in mind. It could have a knock-on effect um, to other species. And, you know, the trials that were done in Belgium focusing on feral pigeons, it's much easier to target that species in an urban environment with a food like grain than it will be to target gulls, which have a much wider diet and will eat almost anything. Yeah, because, like, uh, I suppose pigeons can be deemed a nuisance as well. But as you say, they, they probably react differently to the gulls. <laughs> Yes, their, their, their biology is their biology is very very different, um, and they're, they're not related really to each other at all. And I'm not close; they're all birds, of course, but they're not they're not closely related at all. Um, and and the fact of it as well is that um, when it comes to those feral pigeons in, in urban streets, yeah, they, they they can be a problem as well, of course, absolutely. Um, but um, the, you know, there are ways there are ways and means of tackling that. I suppose the difference between the pigeons and the, the, the feral pigeons, that is, and the gulls, is that the feral pigeons aren't, aren't a threatened species. They're, 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 their numbers and populations aren't in difficulty. They're not a conservation priority, but the gulls are. I know that people often don't believe me when I say the numbers have declined by 90% over the course of 30 years. It's species in trouble. They say there's more of them than ever. We see them more around the urban centres than ever before. But that's not the sign of a species that's increasing or losing the run of itself. That's the sign of a species in crisis that has no other option. Uh, so it's, it's, it's desperation rather than uh, you know rather than success yeah okay brilliant fascinating and uh, thank you very much for that that is Niall with Niall with a very appropriate name Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland <laughs> did you always want to work with birds Niall with that name I was destined for it wasn't it yeah no it, it is memorable alright so yeah it's a blessing and a curse <laughs> it is indeed thank you so much for joining us on the opinion line this morning Niall can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96, 96, 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ today. And uh, earlier on we were talking about the controversy after the uh, Ladies Football World Cup win. And... Um, the the song that they sang to celebrate the the win that they had over in Scotland uh, on Tuesday night and somebody has been in touch to say most people moaning about the song were gleefully burning tricolours on their bonfires a few weeks ago. Nothing to apologise for. Um, also we were talking about pet cemeteries and Mary has been in touch to say a pet cemetery would be a great idea. My cat only died last night and we are burying him out the back and we plant something where he is. I'm very sorry to hear that Mary. I know it's a very 
difficult time for so many people because a pet just becomes part of your family. So um, my heart goes out to you today, you and your family. It really does. Um, you know, it's it's a very sad time for people. Um, Niall has also been in touch to say, I just heard you talking about dogs. My dog, a Baltese Bichon, a Maltese Bichon was attacked by a Labrador cross dog off his lead on Sunday the 2nd of October at 9.30 at Paddy's Point in Ring The owners took no responsibility and fled the scene. My dog was kept overnight and has a soft tissue injury in his leg and is still traumatised while recovering. I would like to warn your listeners of the incident and also I would like to thank the two people who came and helped me get back to my car. Um, um, again, very sorry to hear that, Niall. Um, I know that um, I remember like my mum's dog... Uh, like that, with small dog like yours, and was attacked by a Labrador cross as well, and it um, it's very traumatic for the person, and it's very traumatic for the dog. So I hope your dog makes a full recovery. And anybody who is out walking, you know, um, it's you know you do see the signs up to keep your dog on a leash, but um, you know I think. You know, a situation like that that Niall was highlighting just goes to show why we need to have dogs on a lead when we're out and about walking around. Um, anybody else who would like to get in touch with us on any of those or any of the subjects that we were talking about this morning, you can uh, text or WhatsApp 083 three ninety six ninety six ninety six or you can phone oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now are you a working mum who is trying to juggle kids, work, house, life? Good morning, Rachel Sarah Murphy. The juggle is real girl. <laughs> I am in the juggle as we speak, pulled over at the side of the road. <laughs> we just made it. <laughs> juggle, yeah, it's definitely real, Fiona. Yeah. Thank you for uh, taking the time to pull over to talk to me today. <laughs> Why did you decide to contact us about this, Sarah or Rachel? Is it just because, um, do you know, like I know what it's like myself. You're trying to work full-time job. You've got kids that are very demanding. You're trying to keep the house going. And it's just like, are we asking ourselves to just do way too much nowadays? Well, Fergal came to me with this and he said, well, you know, what ideas did we have? And I said, the juggle is real. And I um, like my situation is I'm a single mummy and I run two businesses, Free the Way Cleaning and Free the Way Property. So I'm always on the go. I'm a service, a service business. I'm always on the go. Mm. So I'm and I, I have obviously I have Lolly who's 10. So I've organized my life uh, since leaving Fair City. I've organized my life. I'm very privileged. I've, I have an agency so I can work from home. Yeah. So I work around um I put my work around my schedule, which is lolly. I prioritize what's important in my life. That's lolly. That's it. That's it. End of. Mm. And then everything else works around her. So, and that's how I I get up at half four, five o'clock in the morning. I start work immediately. I'm on the emails and then I stop. So you prioritize and then I yeah. stop and I play mommy for a while and then she goes to school and then I'm like a mad woman. <laughs> get everything done. Um, but then, you know, at seven o'clock every evening I stop and then mm. it's just lolly. She gets home from school. She has her snack. I listen to her with her stories. But And you can work around it, but it is time management. It's, and do you think then as yeah. well, Rachel, that it's up to your employer as well to let you be a bit more flexible with, because like not everybody has a flexible working day and yeah. maybe they have to go into the office between 9 and 5 or 9 and 5.30 and they just have no other choice in the matter. 
Well, sometimes I think that employers live in cloud cuckoo land mm. because how do they expect the human race to continue? <laughs> or is it that when a woman has a child, she needs to go hide herself away again, you know, and, and come back out into the sunlight when the child is 18 and she can return to work? Yeah. I mean, it's just codswobble. So living in reality, the reality is a woman uh, a lot of women who are privileged enough to ha- to be able to have children have children. Our bodies are made to feed our children. And if people have a problem with that, they need to talk to God or Jesus or whoever they believe in, because that's what our bodies are made to do. Yeah. And I'm certainly not going to hide my child. And I never did with Lolly, hide her under a blanket uh, because somebody finds, um, you know, me breastfeeding repulsive. Um, and then when it comes to work, I think, you know, when I was working in RCE, there was an RCE crash came on board, um, which was brilliant. Uh, the problem is it didn't open until seven and a lot of us were in at 6.30. Mm. Um, now, I didn't avail of it, but a lot of women um, in the office did, um, which was brilliant because there was a crash on site. And I know there's a lot of businesses that are forward thinking and that have that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think maybe employers... Um, I think maybe employers need to be a little bit more um, uh, understanding Mm. and and sympathetic. But then I also think, Fiona, that, uh, you know, the employers need to be a little bit more educated on menopause with women as well. Mm. So, I mean, I have many issues. I think when it comes to women, um, sometimes, you know, we're told to just keep it to ourselves and Mm. it doesn't really matter. And, oh, she'll get on with it. She's just, you know, a bit strange at the minute. You know, I think people need to be educated. Um, do, and I also you know think you should, should do, Rachel? Children. You should be going around to workplaces and giving talks to employers. I should. Like, oh. I should. And I should say, what do you have in place for the menopausal woman? Absolutely. And what do you have in place for the woman who has children? Yeah. Because, you know, women who have... Uh, people like me are very productive because we have to be and because we're very conscious of time management. So, And women are multitaskers. We know that. Mm. Um, but I do feel... Remember that interview where the children came in the background... Where yeah. was that? He was yes. The children I had came many into the of background. Those occasions myself, especially during the lockdown. I don't know how many times I was home with PJ and my children made a cameo appearance. And it, yeah, know. and that's fine. I mean, mm. that's fine. I mean, that happens, and that's life. You know, you it want is sometimes difficult, you know, though yeah. to concentrate on your job if you have your children. I mean, I can't imagine now having my children in here right now with me. <laughs> not, not. Yeah, show. you couldn't have you, you couldn't have them in the studio. So, so you have to you obviously as a mum feel you time manage you you know mm. yourself so you have somebody minding them and I'm delighted that the child of cost uh, the cost of childcare is coming down yeah. but it is all about um first of all for an employer I think it's it's understanding that it is a juggle and you know being lenient if the child is sick you're mm. obviously going to go home end off um you know and not be sort of crucified for it I just think understanding I think a little mm. bit of understanding and um education um, on on this is needed within the workplace. And I think particularly mums um, and dads as well but I think particularly mm. mums I think we're very um, I think a lot of us need to kind of um, prioritise things as well because I think we're trying to just do everything all in the one day you're trying to kind of have a full time job you're trying to be successful at that you're trying to be a mother you're trying to keep the house going you're trying to be you know take some time out of the day to maybe go for a walk so that you can get away from everything you're trying to meet up with friends you're trying to spend time with your husband it's like ah just like, and, and things you're going to have to let go of stuff I mean, there's going to there's going to be um uh, you know um, uh, things that you're not going to keep up with you know and you're going to have to sacrifice yeah and you usually know, and it's I, yourself yeah. that the sacrifice is like your, your, your time to yourself is what's sacrificed isn't it 
There is, and there's there's two rules of thought on that. There's some people who think that uh, you should prioritize yourself because if you're not 100%, you can't give 100%. Mm. And then I would be different. I prioritize the child, but I do consider myself. So if I have like Fridays, I try to make Fridays as relaxed as I can. So I have Mm. a bit of me time and I will go for a swim or I'll sit in the steam room or I'll have an hour and a half to myself. So I think it is important to have and I'm a big meditation person, I think it is important to have 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, to yourself without anything. And I also think it's very important to have one day a week, like the Sunday, which is family day, mm. your day, where there is no obligations whatsoever. It's and by just having you. that little time to yourself every day, I think that makes mm. you a better mother, a better wife, a better friend, a better employee or whatever it is, because you're not as stressed out and you have actually you're not as stressed out your mind has time to 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 uh, clear itself but you're going to have to sacrifice um like i like i have i've had to sacrifice a lot of friendships because i have to Mm. prioritize as a single mother my child and my work to keep the roof over our heads and all the rest of it so you do have to prioritize and let go of things for for not forever but for a little while and try to stop this social media where you have to be perfect, mm. you have to look great, so you've got to work out, you've got to eat perfectly, you've got to raise, you know, reach for the stars in your business, etc., etc. Um, you know, you make more, you spend more. So, you know, yeah. it's all relative. But I just think the thing healthy. that needs to be sacrificed is the housework. <laughs> Give up ironing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's therapy. <laughs> I like the housework. But yeah, something has to sacrifice, you know, and don't try to be, you know, superwoman but women are amazing we are amazing and as mothers uh we time manage to uh, you know to the the second the millisecond Mm -hmm. so we can do it but if you're not in a position like i am where you're an agency and you work for yourself um then you know i think it's okay to go up to your employer and say look this is what's happening and nine times out of ten um hopefully they'll be very understanding and you won't be um you know, you won't be thought of differently because of it. Absolutely. I hear you completely. 100% Rachel. Um, And if anybody out there agrees with uh, Rachel Sarah Murphy and you think that employers need to be uh, looking at things a little bit differently and giving working mums some more flexibility, um, you can always uh, email us and PJ can pick up on the conversation again tomorrow. The opinion opinion line email is opinion at 96fm.ie. It's a great topic of conversation and thank you for bringing that to us, Rachel. Sarah Murphy. Now, uh, back to the student walkout, which took place in UCC and MTU at 11 minutes past 11 this morning. Uh, Katie O'Keefe, our news reporter, has been over to MTU and she's been talking to Hannah Simons. I'm studying visual communications. And you'll be joining the walkout today. Why? Yes, because I have to I have to wake up at half six in the morning to commute um, from just Rochestown. Like, it's ridiculous, the bus, like, the traffic, the buses. I personally have experienced that, and I also have a lot of friends who are having real trouble with accommodation and just the prices of everything. Like... It's ridiculous trying to get like trying to get accommodation in the in the city. Um, even then, like you still have like even if you're in the city, you still have to get the bus out to MTU. And I know um, a lot of people with cars as well can't find parking. I know a couple of people even like last year who had to um, who would have to come in at around like seven or half seven just to get a parking space. And I know um, from this year, like from eight o'clock on, it is impossible to get a parking space. 
Um, I just think it's it's ridiculous and it's something needs to be done about it. You'd have people in their lectures like wondering if their car is like clamped, if they're going to have to pay the fine just to get it off, and like there's no other option for people to like where like where can people park if there isn't a parking space on campus? Like I don't know, it's. Like there's no way else. I have to work uh, two nights a week, and even then, I I wouldn't be like I still live with my parents. I I wouldn't be able to afford to move out, um, even with my parents like help. I wouldn't have been able to afford like rent or even if I could get accommodation, I couldn't. Um, like I don't know. It's for me personally as well. It's really uh, I'm really passionate about it. <laughs> and do you think maybe the mental health aspect is going to be huge? In- yeah, for sure. I I think it's a massive problem as well because. Um, the additional stress as well as like exams, coursework, like coming into class, just even coming into class every day, worrying about all of these things. Like it's a, it's a lot of additional pressure. Like can I imagine, like it's a, it's just like ah, it's ridiculous. Katie, she says there it's a ridiculous. Um, it sounds really busy. Uh, was there many people at the the walkout? Hi Fiona, yeah, so I would say we're in the waste atrium here in MTU and there was easily about 500 people. It actually got capacity inside here and they ended up like stopping people from coming in so there was overflow on top of that. Mm. And what were they doing? They were just standing outside on the campus, were they? Um, so they all came together and the Students Union and the Union of Students of Ireland um, all gave speeches of what needs to be done and what what people were struggling with and why they're all coming together today. And you were talking to the students. What kind of mood is there amongst the students, Katie? Well, in MTU now in particular today, it seems like it seems the transport is a really big issue and they can't get accommodation mm. and then they can't get the transport. So how are they supposed to get here? And when they do get here, then they can't park. So it's, it's, it's just stressing them out on top of college work. And did they talk to you about finding it difficult to try and feed themselves because they're paying so much for accommodation that they have nothing left at the end of the week? Absolutely. It's like you can't work here in college. And when you do work, it's going towards other things like rent, petrol, transport. So where are they going to get the money for food? You're there with Maeve Richardson, who is USI Deputy President. Um, Could I have a quick word with her as well there? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, We just had a comment that came in there from somebody to say, my son went off to Thailand. It was the best experience ever. We're all delighted that he's back. Really, maybe students should see an opportunity in harder times. Maeve, did you hear that comment there that I read out? I did hear that comment. What would you say to that? My response to that comment is that not every student has the means to go abroad for a year between flights and visas. And many students want to dive straight into education and want to stay here in their country. Mm. You know, not everyone has that opportunity to go abroad and, you know, discover themselves. And, you know, to the people who do, that's absolutely brilliant. But that's not the reality that we're in for a lot of people. We're in the middle of one of the worst cost-living crises that Ireland has seen. And particularly here in MCU Cork today, a huge response that we were getting was that many students are working full-time alongside their degree, studying full-time, and sometimes they've missed classes in order to maintain their jobs. Yeah. And like as Katie was saying there, a lot of students have been talking about the commute to MTU. Um, you know, it's out on the south side of the city. There's not a huge amount of accommodation around there. A lot of students have to commute. Yes, so a lot of the buses, such as the 205 and 220, would be quite full. Mm. And there is a significant amount of parking out here, but it's not good enough for the capacity of the college. 
And it's the same with student accommodation. You know, we've seen that over 1,056 cases have been added to CAO, but that doesn't match the amount of parking or the amount of beds that are being provided to students. There's not a lot of options here, and particularly here in Cork City, we've seen this rise of luxury student accommodation being built mm. that's completely unaffordable, that can cost up to €9,000 a year. How is any student supposed to realistically afford that? Or in the case of students who are told to commute, the first train that doesn't come in, if you're, on, if you're living in Tarlis, Charleville or Limerick Junction, your first train doesn't arrive into Kent until 9.37am. And what time are you going to go to Bishopstown, realistically? Maeve, earlier on this morning, I was speaking to a lady who rang in and said, um, I think her name was Sandra, and she was saying that students nowadays just expect too much luxury, that when she was in college, and indeed when I was in college, you lived in the substandard accommodation and you just, yeah, pasta and beans and that was it. Like, she's saying now that students are just expecting too much. I would categorically disagree with that statement. Students these days aren't asking for luxury accommodation. Mm. Luxury accommodation blocks are being marketed to a non-existent, rich international student market that isn't truly there. And a lot of these luxury accommodations are just there to try and make profit, but not actually achieve it. Because the average Irish domestic student can't afford that, but nor can the average international student. Students these days are living on beans and pasta and everything like every other student has. Students know how to budget. Students know where every single cent is going but it's still not stretching enough because of inflation, because of the cost of rent and because of the cost of transport. I would reject any statement that says that students expect too much because students are doing their very best. They're just trying to get an education so they can be independent and try to have a life in this country. Absolutely. Maeve, thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Can you pass me back to Katie O'Keefe there as well, just to finish up? Good morning, Katie. Hello? Hi, Katie. Has everybody come back into the lecture now or um, are they just all still around or what way is it working now or is it over? Yeah, so it's over now. It lasted for about 25 minutes and there is a big, huge careers careers player on here today. So they're all who gone to that or back to their lectures. Okay, very good. And uh, the atmosphere then, like it was quite, um, like people are just very angry, I suppose, are they? They're very angry. I've covered quite a few protests now and I've never seen one with so much like solidarity of people all on the same page. Okay, brilliant. Katie, thank you so much and thanks for all of the audio that you sent us in this morning. That's it for today. Thank you very much for uh, listening to me today and for everybody who joined in on the show this morning and to the team here, Emer, Fergal and Wayne. Uh, PJ will be back with you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day. The Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. Jim Grow Gains Coffee Morning in aid of Breast Cancer Ireland takes place at the Dean Hotel on Monday, the 17th of October, between 10:30 a.m. and midday. Speakers on the day will include the founders of Jim Grow Gain as well as Breast Cancer Ireland representative Juliet O'Connell. 100% of proceeds from the sale of tickets will go directly towards Breast Cancer Ireland. For more information on the event, check out jimgrowgain.com. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With corksimon.ie. Because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Corks 96FM.